Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm Danielle McCartan here with you on WFAN Radio, New York, New York. Good morning, New York sports fans. I'm Danielle McCartan. After midnight, I'll be talking all things New York sports with you until 6 a.m. On This is a different day for me, early Saturday morning or late Friday night. If you're still out and about and the city never sleeps, we're going to be a lot together tonight. You and me till 6 a.m. I've got Pat behind the glass. He's ready, willing, able to take your phone calls. We've already got some lined up. That's great. You guys know the number, 877-337-6666. Load them up with your best Yankees Mets, Giants Jets, Knicks Nets, whatever. We got a lot of sports to talk about here tonight from these next four hours, and I'm coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio, Lower Manhattan. We're just about a full day's removed from our great feasts of Thanksgiving, and by now, I hope you've trip, uh, slept off the tryptophan, and you always think there's an E at the end of that. There's really no E at the end of that word. And we're ready for another jam-packed show. I must reiterate, since uh, so many of you took interest to one of my last sentences last week, the lasagna. My mom's lasagna. It's definitely the best part about Thanksgiving, and no doubt about it at all. I got so many tweets about that. Obviously, guys, in Italian households, you eat the lasagna before the turkey, the tacchino, you must know that I'm definitely wearing my stretchy pants tonight, and I am. <laughs> uh, I just want to welcome those of you that maybe are home for homecoming weekend. Maybe you went to your high school football game. I know mine that I went to had a long, decades-long tradition with the neighboring town. I mean, I was in the marching band, and I went to every single one of those games. But no, I'm I'm too old to go. I don't go. I don't go anymore. And and you know what? Every time I hear that trumpet sound on WFAN jingle, I. I Mentally take a note of, like, I want to go and practice that when I go home. And then I forget. So one of these days, I'll bring my trumpet in here. Maybe we can do that live. Uh, I, I stayed home. I parked myself in front of the TV all day long, like most of you. First the parade, then all the football games. And as I'm sitting there, just on the cusp of the first day of the last month of the year, I'm thinking about what each New York team should be thankful for this year. Some was a little easier than others to figure it out. So here we go. The New York Giants are up first. Thank you, Mr. Bon Jovi. Eli Manning has been a giant for 234 games. Number 10 has been the epitome of reliable. He started in 232 games and brought two Super Bowl victories back home here to New York. Then this spring, the Giants drafted Daniel Jones, a carbon copy of Eli Manning. And that is the highest compliment. When Manning was officially benched in week three of this season for the likes of Jones, a reporter asked him at his locker, is this the end of Eli Manning? Man, uh, Eli responded with a side smile, and he said, I'm not dying. The season's not over. And then he added, when you draft a young quarterback, this is going to happen. And in many ways, he signed up for this. Eli could have made the Giants' season an absolute mess, a catastrophe, a disaster. The Giants are on a seven-game losing streak and are welcoming the top seeded in the NFC if the season ended today, Green Bay Packers, to MetLife Stadium Sunday. And Manning could have stamped his feet, could have demanded a trade. He could have been an dis- absolute distraction. He could still resist, and he could still demand to start, to play, and to show the NFL that he still got what it takes to be a quarterback in this league. To have the 22-year-old Daniel Jones take a seat and take some notes. Instead, 
The cameras captured a heartwarming embrace between Eli and Daniel after Jones's first touchdown pass. Instead, Eze has put the development of Daniel Jones above any ego you thought he might have had. Instead, Eli has put Daniel Jones in a position to succeed on the field and in the meeting rooms. That's just who he is. Manning's advice to Jones has been lighthearted. He said, throw it to the guy wearing the same jersey you are. Simple. And it has been serious and consistent. Early in the season, Jones said his support is something that I'm super, here's the word, grateful for. His biggest message to me was to keep it simple, to not to be perfect, but to be clear in the huddle, to be confident, and to go with it. That was tremendous advice. I'm a first-year player. I needed that. And how about just November 26th? How many days ago? Four days ago. Jones said, certainly there's a lot to learn, and he's been very helpful with, with me. His message has just been to be consistent and to continue to move forward and not let the last mistake affect the next play. Giants fans in a league full of me-first players, and you know who they are, Eli Manning should be revered for what he's done with Daniel Jones. As far as the Jets are concerned. Looking for They are riding a three-game win streak, smooth sailing with the wind at their backs into Cincinnati to take on the winless, the winless Bengals on Sunday. I cannot believe the number of people even considering the New York Jets a playoff team this year. They somehow beat the Raiders, who, if you were listening last week, Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, I had him on last week, he said that the Raiders, and this is a quote, aren't a very good football team. And... The Jets' first two wins on the streak came against the New York Giants and the Washington Redskins, who both have a winning percentage of 182 this season so far. Celebrate all you want, Jets fans. I warned you about this. You'll say, well, they started off 1-7 and seven, but finished blank in blank. And I say 6-10 and 10 if they're lucky. But guys, they've lost to teams like, I don't know, the tanking Miami Dolphins the day I had to wear the, the Dan Marino jersey here. Come on. I picked this smooth sailing song because, yes, the final games or the final five games for the Jets are like, I don't know, smooth sailing. The final record is going to be such a false narrative for this team because, guys, the rest of the way, the combined winning percentage of the Jets' final opponents, including um, including the beginning of their winning streak, is a whopping 400. That includes the Baltimore Ravens game. And when you take the Ravens out of the equation, from week 10 on, the Jets will have faced opponents with a winning percentage of 341. They should be winning these games. So yes, the Jets, besides that Ravens game on primetime Thursday night football, have, Old Dominion will tell you, smooth sailing the rest of the way. Unfortunately for them, and unfortunately for their long-term future. So for the Jets, they should be thankful for a soft schedule from here on out, basically, besides that uh, Ravens game. Then I thought about the New York Mets. They've got a a locker room full of team-first player trying to change the narrative, and that's Chris Jansen's good vibes, country music. As you know, MLB players cannot wear the hat, the caps of first responders. And, so this year, you saw Peter Alonzo enlist the help of, of Jacob deGrom to get every player on board, not only to wear the cleats, but to ask, but not to ask for the MLB's permission to do so, and for every single player to get them all on board to accept the fine, should it come down from the MLB. 
and not say anything. Eventually, there was no fine, just so you know. But Alonzo went around to every single player. He took their cleats size down and the brand. You know, these guys are contracted with specific companies. He took the brands. He, con- he contacted them all. He paid for special 9-11 cleats for every single player to commemorate the lives lost on that day. On the cleats was the American flag on each everybody's American flag, the date, 9-11, and the initials of all of the first responding branches, the EMTs, NYPD, FDNY. There were loud calls right after that for this 24-year-old Peter Alonzo to be named team captain. Well, that didn't happen, but maybe it will this year. And how about Jeff McNeil? The guy who will happily play any position and be just so happy with it. In fact, this season, Jeff McNeil has seen time at in left field, in right field, second base, and third base, all at the major league level. That's special. And what about Wilson Ramos's response after Noah Syndergaard's conversation leaked? The one where he said he doesn't want Ramos catching him anymore? Ramos basically said, like, nothing. This is what he actually said. Here's a quote. It's not like I would be mad with my teammate or that situation. I'm a professional, and I love my job, and I love what I'm doing. But sometimes you feel good pitching to this guy or to that guy. That has happened before. This type of a stable clubhouse of, of, what, of what the Mets should be grateful for, a, te- a room full of team first players, that absolutely bodes well for the current players. And it's attractive to the potential buyers, uh, the potential players, the free agents. Well, obviously, provided that the Wilpons do open their pocketbooks to make that work. And what should the Yankees be thankful for? Well, what goes around comes around, Justin Timberlake. The fact that the Astros cheating scandal is finally getting the attention that it deserves. This has been history-altering, and that's no joke. In 2017, the Yankees alerted the league to no avail of a whistling scheme that they noticed when their pitchers pitched off-speed pitches. Let's fast forward to 2019, and we now have a compelling evidence that points to the fact that the Astros not only use whistling, but cameras positioned in the stadium to relay the catcher's signs to a monitor in the dugout, then someone would bang a garbage can to indicate not only if an off-speed pitch was coming, but which type of pitch was coming. This is thanks all in large in part to the videos created by John Boy and by Max Wildstein, who, who happened to be listening that, that one night and called in here to my show. And did you hear the latest? Andy Martino of SNY reported that the Yankees also complained in-game to the league about blinking lights in center field early on in the 2019 Game 6 at Minute Maid Park in the ALCS. The Astros had that three-run first inning, and the Yankees seemed to have complained, and the bats were silent until Jose Altuve's walk-off in the ninth. And this is a quote from Martino. says, The Yankees suspected that Houston was alternating whistling and hand signs depending on the inning, and the type of whistling depending on the pitch. We've talked about all the other methods here, including earpieces, buzzing pieces on their fingers, This could have robbed the Yankees of a trip to the World Series in both 2017 and 2019. And it leaves the Yankees universe thinking, what could have been? Here's Rob Manfred 10 days ago. He says, any allegations that relate to a rule violation that could affect the outcome of a game or games is the most serious matter. It relates to the integrity of the sport. In terms of where we are, we have a really, 
really thorough investigation ongoing. But beyond that, I can't tell you how close we are to done. He did add a little bit later that he hopes that everything does get finished by the start of this upcoming season. Well, obviously, this could have changed the course of history over these past three seasons. And Yankees fans just should be thankful that Rob Manfred has finally stepped up to the plate in this thorough, hopefully thorough, investigation and probable repercussions for the Astros and everybody involved. Throwback here to Salt and Pepper. The Nets should be thankful for Spencer Dinwiddie because what a man he has been. Plain and simple, when Kyrie Irving goes down, this is the most coveted free agent this entire season, and the Nets highlights are on right now. When Kyrie Irving goes not down with a shoulder injury, for now nine games and counting because he's not playing Sunday versus Miami, Spencer Dinwiddie has stepped up immensely in his absence. Have you seen it? The Nets defeated the second place, now third place, Boston Celtics today in Brooklyn. Today, Dinwiddie scored 32, he pulled down five rebounds, and he dished out 11 assists. That also includes two blocks and two steals. Over his last 10 games, it's been much of the same numbers, although a little less. But Spencer Dinwiddie leads the team in points per game and assists per game. He's been the Nets' top scorer and assist leader in six of the last games without Kyrie Irving. His superior play has not only allowed Kyrie Irving to rush back, but to rehab that shoulder back to literally 100%. Because without Spencer Dinwiddie, the Kyrie-less Nets, they could really be bottom dwellers in the East. You know, like that other team, the New York Knicks. It's all, it's all, it's all I love this 98 degrees, throwing it way back to my fifth grade days. Well, this, I'll be honest here, this was the hardest team to find something to be thankful for for the New York Knicks. Um, There's obviously a a rift between upper management and the players and and coach on the floor. Maybe it's not going great on the court, even for that upper management and their failure to attract the elite free agents this summer. You know what the Knicks can be grateful for? The Knicks should be thankful for their passionate fan base. The sunshine after the rain. It's because of you. The winning season, uh, losing season, the fans show up and the fans show out. They call up here and we have a call on hold right now. So impassioned. And I'm sure this is going to be an impassioned phone call with the goings-on of their team. And Knicks fans, honestly, you deserve better. Oh, and here's something we can all be thankful for. There's 73 days until pitchers and catchers. Let's hit the calls. Everything's on the table tonight. Cannot wait to talk with you guys. 877-337-6666. I also have some Black Friday deals for the Yankees and Mets, in case you're wondering. I'm Daniel McCartan after midnight on The Fan. And he's Marco Belletti on The Update. Hi, this is Bob Papa. Aaron Rodgers comes to town with the Green Bay Packers tomorrow to take on Daniel Jones and the Giants with our coverage underway at 1130. Then later on, there's more NFL action as the Chiefs host the Raiders, followed by the Patriots and Texans to make for a big Sunday triple header here on your flagship station for the Giants and NFL football. The fans, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Can we just talk? Can we just talk? Talk about and can we just talk about New York sports here? Hit the phone, 877-337-6666. Pick it up. Call us in. 
Let's talk New York sports. You can also tweet me at Coach MCCARTAN. If they're exceptionally good, I will uh, read them on air, probably. Um, so, the, listen, the New York Knicks, I was trying to close my eyes before, uh, but I kept checking my phone, checking my phone. I'm like, oh, my God, the New York Knicks, th- they might actually pull this one off. They were playing the 76ers, who they are a great team, 13-6 and six now, and they're fifth in the East now. I mean, the Knicks had a chance to steal this game. They were leading literally 51-39 at halftime. That's kind of where I dozed off. The Knicks had this game won until about 2.20 left in the third quarter. And then the win probability swung in the 76ers' favor, and they didn't look back. The next, the Knicks ended up dropping this one in the garden after a three-quarter effort. Let's head out to Camden, New Jersey. Kevin, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. Nice to meet you. <laughs> uh, I've talked to you before on Twitter. This is my first time calling. Okay. So thank you. Cool. Um, the Knicks. Oh, man. I've been a Knicks fan since I was five. Uh, this team, just every year, same thing. It's just hard to watch. I just feel like this just, just my, they just gave up on Fisdale, I think. They just, I don't know. It's just something with this team. I love this team, but it's just frustrating. I mean, every game, they're blowing it every game. It's frustrating. Just frustrating. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> Kevin, th- thanks for the call. This this is McCartan after midnight. Also, um, what's that called? Uh, uh, therapy sessions too. I, I mean, they're they're really there. There is. I I don't know either. I don't know what's going on. Maybe perhaps like Kevin just said that they did give up on Fisdale. Uh, it's possible, but not probable because this guy is, you know, the 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 player's coach. Um. That he's he's sitting Kevin Knox tonight. He was absolutely glued to the bench. And Kevin Knox, if you didn't know, 2018, which is, you know, last year, he was their ninth overall pick. Why did he sit him? You know, there was some outrage among Knicks fans. Why is Kevin Knox sitting this game? Blah, blah, blah. I'll tell you why. I think I can get up, get behind Fisdale on this. Kevin Knox is, is shooting just 31.4% from the floor. You don't want a guy like that on the floor. In a big game like this, you need points. So that outrage about that coaching decision might be unwarranted. But I just don't know what what the Knicks. I mean, they play three quarters. Maybe that's if if I'm coaching the team and, and my team is playing only just three quarters, I got to think to myself that maybe we're not practicing hard enough in my own team. Maybe they got to step up practice somehow. Because when my team gives a three quarter effort or a two set at a three set effort. Or a five-inning at a seven-inning effort. Just, you're just not working them too hard enough at practice. They don't have the stamina to finish the game. So maybe that's something that Fisdale's going to look into. Maybe in the next close game they can close it out. Who knows? Mount Holly, New Jersey. CJ, you're on the fan. Danielle, how you doing? Good. How are you, CJ? What do you got for us this week? All right. We're going to talk a little about Eli Manning since you brought the subject. He's yep. been a good soldier. The reason he's been a good soldier, don't forget, is like this is basically a $25 million bonus for being a good giant. I know. My mom years. said the same thing. I know. I mean, so it's very easy. For, I, mean, I think some type of gentleman's agreement was reached you know, between the giant and Eli that he could get a lot of money this year, but he has to be quiet. But let's look at the Knicks since he was brought up. The one thing I have to be thankful for, and this is legitimate, I really think R.J. Barrett is going to be a player. If you study his expressions, 
he's got that intensity yeah. that he really wants. He wants to be great. I think he will work on a shot. He can't be great, obviously, until he develops an outside shot. But many times with these players, especially the one and done, that's the last thing that develops. It's just a huge jump from collegiate ball to this. And what did he score? Something like 18 points tonight? I mean, I mean, versus the 76ers? I think that's great. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I do agree with you, yes. Uh, now, speaking about Knox, I don't know what's really going on with him. I thought last year he showed a lot of promise. And he really, his growth, I think, got stunted with these three agent signings that took away minutes that should have gone to him. You know what? Julius Randle is not going to be a winning ball player for you. So you don't sign him for a three-year you know, year contract. And I think what they're going to do is they're going to trade Morris the small forward sometime in the season to a contender, and then hopefully we really get a good deal of Kevin Knox after that. I, I think that's a good strategy. I think the Knicks are, are very forward-heavy, and, and I think that would be behoove them to do something like that. But I just think, you know, Knox, that, that was just a coaching decision. The guy's shooting, what, 31% from the floor. I mean, he, he's just in a rut. He's got to work himself out of it. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes you need legitimate playing time to do that, yeah. which I think will happen. But you know what? Going into the draft, I'm already looking at draft boards for next year's draft. Obviously, Greg Anthony's son could be an intriguing prospect. Maybe he's the legitimate point guard that they really need. Because if you go back in Nick history, the last point guard that you can at least depend on him to play defense, you have to go back to Charlie Ward. That's how long it's been. <laughs> Well, maybe, maybe next year will be the year for them. Hello? Hello? <laughs> CJ, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. hopefully next year will be the year for them. Yeah. All right, but, all right let's talk a little bit about baseball with the Yankees. Do you think they're going to really get that free agent pitcher? You know, which one? But Garrett Cole? Do you think they're really going to sign him? Are they going to really empty up the dough? What's your feeling in that situation? I mean, I don't, I don't have any inside information, but I think that the Yankees fans would absolutely riot if, if they didn't come away with Cole or Strasburg. I mean, I think it's going to be one of them. Yeah, you really have to have one or the other. But I'm telling you something. One thing they might have up their sleeve, don't be surprised if they try to make a move for a big star outfielder. I don't know the name, but probably a lefty bat. That's something they can really use, especially Gardner looking at his age. Hicks, you don't know what to make of his injury situation. Stanton's always injured. You know what? He definitely can use another outfielder. And the problem with Frazier is he's a right-handed bat. He really needs another left-handed bat in the lineup, especially with the anticipated departure of Dean. CJ, thanks for the call there. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I think the Yankees have bigger question marks and less moves to make, and I think the Mets need to just really um, kind of build this thing out. And I think that if the Yankees, like I said, do not come away with one of these starting prized pitchers, I mean, there, there's going to be a mutiny. I mean, people are going to be calling for Brian Cashman, who's been above average and to great. Um, they're going to be calls for his firing, and <laughs> loud. Because the Yankees need that number one starter. And coming up a little bit later, I have actually, if they if they do swing and miss, I have some Black Friday deals for a uh, a Yankee starting pitcher. And for the Mets, I have some Black Friday deals for a bullpen help and for a fielder slash batter. So I got you all covered on this Black Friday here in New York. Steve in Manhattan, you're on the fan. 
Right. Hi, Danielle. And, and Danielle, when you get talking about lasagna before, you, you started getting me hungry, you know? <laughs> uh, did you bring that with you into the studio? No, I didn't. I had it before I got here, though. <laughs> the leftovers. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I know they, they close all the restaurants in, in, in Arthur area, you know, about 10 o'clock at night. So yeah, yeah. I'm really talking about lasagna. It really almost sounds like a food show, but I don't <laughs> mind it at all. Now, this is it's good to hear you on the radio. We really like you. You're starting to come, but it'd be great to have you a little earlier in the day, too. It would help, you know, especially on the weekend or something. I don't know if you're busy. You have another probably You got to have another job. But uh, it'd be great to hear more of you. Thank you. And the thing with the Yankees, uh, the thing with the Yankees now, I mean, I've been talking about this for years and stuff, talk from now to doomsday. It, to me, it looks like they don't break open the saddlebags anymore the way they once did because right. at one time they could sign the free agent, they could grab the, the big price player from the other team, a trade or something because the other team can't afford the guy no more, the guy's just, you know, whatever it is, he comes to the Yankees, he could stock up their roster that way, and plus they had players in the minor leagues. I don't think that's their formula anymore with these guys. They're really, I, I think Hal is not going to do that anymore, signing these big. I can't picture the Yankees signing a pitcher to a $200 million contract, but there is other teams out there that prob- might do that. All you need is one uh, owner to do that. The Yankees will always say we're interested, but they never have the big, interesting bid that really brings the guy in and, and overwhelms the uh, – you know, the free agent and signs them and brings them in. It's not, it doesn't seem like that's happening anymore. Yeah. And Steve, I appreciate the call. Uh, what's his name? Brian uh, Cashman in his, like the end of the season press conference. He, I, I watched the whole thing. I took notes on the whole thing, um, but I don't have them in front of me, but basically to paraphrase what he said was, you know, all the pitchers that they kind of struck out on, uh, they, he, he basically said that he put his own price tag on each one of those guys. And, you know, you never know what the other teams are bidding, obviously, when you're in the process, is what he said. And he felt that he did not want to exceed a certain number in terms of dollars or even years of contract on those guys. And, you know, there's two ways to look at this. Like, okay, one, he's being he's being savvy because why overpay? Because I think a lot of people look at the Yankees and they say, oh, wow, look at this Yankees farm system. They got so many players. We're, we're going to really cash in. And we're we're not gonna deal our player to the Yankees unless we cash in. And you can look at it that way. And then you can look at it as, you know, Cashman being savvy. Or you can look at it as Cashman being cheap. Why don't the Yankees want to exceed the luxury tax? They are in a position to win the World Series and win it two years ago. So if they exceed the luxury tax for a year, even two. What's the big deal? Because they're probably going to win the World Series. And I think that's the message that needs to be um, brought to Hal Steinbrenner's attention. And, and again, the luxury tax is something that if it's a percentage, if the Yankees go over that percentage on their payroll, they actually have to then, uh, the league divides up the money among all the rest of the teams, increasing theoretically the, the level of competition in and around the Yankees. But, man, if you've got Garrett Cole, who's been a Yankee fan since he's a kid, who wants to come to this team, you want to know he wants to come to this team. He's the best pitcher on the market by far. He has been lights out in the playoffs by far. You have to go out and get him. 
And that's it. I mean, there is no other. Because they don't have that clear-cut number one. And they didn't lose in the playoffs this year because of their pitching. They didn't. They really didn't. They lost because they couldn't get the hit when they needed it. The clutch hit. The Jose Altuve walk-off hit. They, they just couldn't get it. They thought they had it in that same game with DJ LeMahieu. His home run in, in, the, in the top of the ninth. But then again, in the bottom of the ninth, Jose Altuve comes in and hits one off of Aroldis Chapman. Ends the game. Ends the season. But if you're looking at this pitching market and the Yankees have needed a pitcher for years, you have to pony up for Garrett Cole. He's the number one. It has to be. He's their clear-cut, and he would be their clear-cut number one starter, et cetera, et cetera. In case the Yankees do miss out on him, I do have some Black Friday deals. We could probably hit that after the break for both the Yankees and the Mets. Stay down McCartan after midnight on The Fan. It's a holiday weekend hockey special. Be listening today at 1 p.m. as the New Jersey Devils host the New York Rangers at the Prudential Center, exclusively on your flagship station for Devils Hockey. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. And hello, everybody. This is a, this is another good one. For those of you guys maybe leaving the clubs here, this is we'll keep the party going here on Carton After Midnight on the fan, 877-337-6666. If you want to get something off your chest, that's the phone number. Let's let's do it. I got some Black Friday deals for Yankees and for Mets because, well, although it's Saturday, the clock is ticked to Saturday, it's technically still Black Friday to me. And maybe you got that, that TV you, you've been coveting and or maybe you got a great deal on some clothes. I think you're crazy if you go to the mall on Black Friday. I, I avoid the mall at all costs, uh, especially on Black Friday. I, I just don't – I mean, the Garden State Plaza would be the mall I go to, and the parking lot is terrible. I just can't deal with it. Um, so I do all the shopping online. My almost Christmas shopping is almost all done this year, and it's all been done online. So some Black Friday deals for the Yankees and Mets. I think both of the teams are sort of kind of in the market for a backup catcher. And I think they're both sort of kind of in the market for a backup catcher of the same mold. Um, I think they're looking for some depth, and I think they're looking for some defensive depth behind the plate. So here are some two options. You got option number one, Drew Butera. His last contract was for $555,000. That's chump change around the MLB. Uh, He's only a career 200 hitter, but he does have some postseason experience. He did catch the final ball of the Royals World Series victory. And it's enshrined with the ball itself with a picture of him in the museum in Kauffman Stadium. And I've seen it. I've gone on the tour. I've been to Kauffman Stadium. And then you get to the, the, the last room in the museum, and there it is. There it is. Um, by the way, Kauffman Stadium, I really liked it. And the whole story behind it with um, the roof that they wanted to put on it, Here's a quick story. They wanted to put a roof on the stadium that was going to slide between Kauffman Stadium in Kansas City and Arrowhead Stadium, and they laid the track. And actually, there's a track that goes from home plate to the 50-yard line of Arrowhead Stadium, and, and that the tunnel, that's where the track for the roof was going to be. And then they ran out of money to, to put the roof so it doesn't exist now, which would have been pretty cool, right? Um, and then they also ran out of money for the fountains. Did you know? I didn't know this. They said this on the tour. I haven't fact-checked this, but that... Uh, Kansas City has the most fountains 
in the world other than the Vatican? I mean, other than Rome? I was like, what? I have to fact check that. But anyway, so they were going to put a whole wall of fountains in, in the outfield to pay homage to that. And then they ran out of money. So they were like, listen, Mr. and Mrs. Kaufman, we are going to put one. And they were like, he was okay with it. He wasn't even a baseball fan. But she was like, oh, no. So she took out her checkbook. She wrote, I think, a $3 million check out of their own money. And she made sure that there were multiple fountains in the outfield of that stadium. Pretty cool story. Um, and which goes back to the museum, which goes back to Drew Butera, which goes back to the fact that the Yankees and Mets might be looking for defensive catchers. And also, a little bit of versatility here on both of these guys. And I'm going to say, Butera's played 26 games at, at first base. And that's attractive. And in almost 500 games behind the plate, he owns an almost perfect fielding percentage, 992. And he only averages 3.8 pass balls per season. I want to look at him, Yankees and Mets. Another guy, and I, his name is Jonathan Lucroy. And his last contract was for $555,000. And I tell you, I wish the Mets got him the first time around. And you heard me say it on here. Um, he's a, a slightly better, a lot better hitter than Drew Butera. He's got, he's a career 274 hitter. He also has postseason experience and he's played more games than Butera at 56 at first base as well. So that's a good little option to have a little flexibility to have in your lineup. And in just about 1100 games behind the plate, Jonathan Lucro owns a even slightly better fielding percentage than, than Butera at 993. And he averages five pass balls per season. So if you're in the market for a good backup defensive catcher that can afford you some versatility at first base, which I think both teams are actually looking for, I think both of these guys are great Black Friday steals for both the Mets and the Yankees. Now for the Mets, they need the bullpen help. And Dylan Matances looks like he is the marquee guy left on the market. The Mets missed on Will Smith. No, not the actor, the number one relief pitcher on the market. And not only did they miss on him, he went to the Atlanta Braves, who won the division for the last two years. So they really missed on that. Uh, so a, a cheaper option, other than Dellen Patances, if they don't go that route, would be Sergio Romo. He's just played most recently for the Twins. He had 20 saves last season. Um, he came to Minnesota at the trade deadline. He had a 27-4 to strikeout-to-walk ratio, 3.18 ERA. Uh, manager of the year, Rocco Baldelli, still I know for Yankees fans, um, a little so, uh, salty subject there, but Baldelli utilized him in high leverage uh, as a high-leverage pitcher in high-leverage situations, and that sounds exactly like what the Mets need. And... Romo's market value should be about $3 million a year, maybe on a two-year deal. Bad news for the Mets. The Twins were interested in bringing him back, and I, and I checked before I got here. They, he hasn't signed anywhere yet, and he seemed to like his time in Minnesota. So maybe the Mets can lure him away from there. But that's my Black Friday deal for the Mets um, in the bullpen. As far as a fielder or a batter, I said this on here like a month ago, and now, listen, guys, it's starting to pick up some steam. You heard it here first. I can guarantee you that. Sterling Marte. On Thursday at 5.18 p.m., Thanksgiving, 
He says, the Mets have it all. It would be a great opportunity to play with them. The Mets are in a position to do that, which means win a World Series. Um, and it would be an honor to play with them. If it doesn't happen, I'll keep working hard and giving my team all I have. And I introduced him to you guys as a poor man's center fielder. Sterling Marte, who's Pirates without a GM, just picked up his $11.5 million option. And that means he's going to have to be acquired by trade, which actually may work in the Mets' favor, actually. Pittsburgh needs a starting pitcher. So Mets fans, are you willing to part with maybe Steven Matz? Matz in a trade for Marte? I want you to look at Marte, Mets fans. He's got value. And Pittsburgh might be looking to just unload him. They're going, they're experiencing an overhaul. He's a plus defender. He steals bases. And guess what? He's that true center fielder that Mets fans feel like they think they need. He hit 295 last season. And the the Pirates are playing this guy, Brian Reynolds. He was a rookie last year. So that makes Marte a little bit dispensable the rookie hit better than he did 314 last year so and then you you have Polanco coming back off the 60-day IL stint and in conclusion the Pirates really don't need Sterling Marte he's won two gold gloves he's been named to the all-star team he gets on base true to his career on base percentage last season it was only off by a hundredth of a percent which is 341 He's projected next year to hit 20 home runs, steal 23 bases, hit 277. I mean, he'd be a nice, nice leadoff hitter for the Mets and that center field piece that that they're looking for. So my Black Friday deals for the Mets would be, if they're looking for a backup catcher, Drew Butera or Jonathan Lucroy. The Black Friday deal for the Mets from their bullpen would be Sergio Romo. And the Black Friday deal for the Mets for their uh, hitter or slash fielder, you know, an everyday player, would be Sterling Marte. And now let's look at the Yankees. If the Yankees can't pull the trigger on Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg for whatever reason, and let's be honest, I think everybody thinks and knows that they should because that's what they need, a number one, true number one pitcher. I mean, it's got to be one of them. Because other than Cole, you've got options of Dallas Keuchel, SportTrack. This is all from the website, SportTrack. I love that site. Uh, SportTrack has, has set his market value at like $21 million a year. Bumgarner is at like $21.1. Wheeler, $23 million a year. Ryu, $28 million a year. And then Strasburg at $30.2 million a year. So other than Cole, these are the options on the market. And But we're talking Black Friday deals for the Yankees. So... In case the Steinbrenners aren't all that concerned with going over the luxury tax, then they really are in the Black Friday market. Danny Thomas. Oh, sorry about that, Danny. They don't want Sterling Marte. They want Starling Marte. Okay, sorry about that. Pronounced it wrong. My bad. Sterling. It's an E. I know. Sometimes I think of Starling uh, Castro. But I digress. Anyway, um the Yankees really might be in this Black Friday market because they're so concerned how Steinbrenner is going to go over that luxury tax. So let's say that they roll out in 2020 
with what they already have. Tanaka as their one, Severino as their two. Then maybe they could add for a Black Friday deal Tanner Rourke. Guy's got a 371 career ERA. He's never missed a game due to injury. Uh, maybe a little more expensive option. They probably won't go this route, but I looked up Alex Wood as well. Career ERA is a 3.4. It's pretty good. Then, Or or do they go down the route of Clay Bokholtz? He's got a career 398 ERA, but he was absolutely terrible last year. And then another little option is Gio Gonzalez. And these are all Black Friday deals for Yankees starting pitching in case they miss on the big guys. I think the Yankees actually end up maybe going this route. I, I hope that they don't. But in the case that they do, I'd like a, a, a Gio Gonzalez. I'd like a Tanner Roark, maybe in that order. Gonzalez, one, then Roark. And then we're looking, again, not for a number one. These guys are not going to be the number one. Maybe as a three or a four. And maybe these guys are the project that the Yankees' brand new pitching coach is looking for. Matt Blake is looking for. A la the Renaissance Garrett Cole experience when he went to the analytics-driven Astros, as we'll talk about tonight. And I do want to get to see that tonight. What do you got? Uh, Garrett Cole going over to the Astros, totally resurrecting his career from from the Pirates to the Astros. I mean, it, it was incredible, the, the, the study that I, that I read. And, and I'll explain it to you guys in a little while, and I do want to hit that tonight for sure. I mean, Matt Blake, the Yankees pitching coach, is so entrenched in analytics. And I'm not talking the analytics of don't allow the guy to go to the third – Round through through the batting order, third time through the batting order. I'm not talking about that analytics. I'm talking about the analytics that that it's, I'm a baseball nerd and I love it. Where I mean, you just saw Justin Verlander. They were showing it on MLB Network uh, in the in the playoffs where Justin Verlander increased the arm slot or, or raised the arm slot on his fastball uh, like six inches, and it has totally, totally become a weapon for him again. So I'm talking. That those kind of analytics, and that's what the Yankees got in Matt Blake, and that's what the Mets got too, and their new pitching coach Jeremy Hefner. And I do want to talk about that. So again, Black Friday deals for the Yankees. If they are not in the market for Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg, they are. They're my top two options are Gio Gonzalez, Tanner Roark. We got a lot of calls on hold. You guys stay in there. Eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. We'll hit them right after the break. I'm Daniel McCartan. After midnight on the fan. I'm Dana McCartan, back with you guys. Carton After Midnight here on WFAN, coming to you live from the Mike Francesa studio, Lower Manhattan. This is um, the normal studio that we're always in, and it's uh, I'm making it a home now, I think. Um, we got a lot of interesting games uh, coming up this weekend. You got Jets at Cincinnati. That's interesting because the Jets might lose, could lose, to the 0-11 Bengals. We've seen that story before, not only last year, but this year as well. Last year with the, the Browns, this year with the Miami Dolphins. You also have the NFC leading Green Bay Packers coming in, probably like now, to New Jersey, New York area. Take on the Giants, 1 p.m. 
from MetLife Stadium. And you also got, this is always interesting. I like when New York, New York teams play each other. Oh, by the way, both Giants and Jets are at 1 o'clock again. You know how much I hate that. Um, but then you got, I love this, New York Rangers at the New Jersey Devils today, later today, 1 p.m. from The Rock at the Prudential Center. All right, let's get to these calls, 877-337-6666. Cricks in Kingston, you have been on hold for a very long time. What do you got for us tonight? How you doing? I'll talk about Gettleman. Before that, like the free agency in baseball, it takes forever. You know, you have to wait after the new year. Uh-huh. You know, it drags and drags. So let's wake me up when Cole signs with somebody. <laughs> it takes too long. I don't like it. It's not like NBA or NFL. Like they're signed within a week, all the players. Yeah. I wish it was like that. I know what you mean. Um, Gettleman, like, he makes some horrible moves the last two years. Like, first he signs, he gets Barkley number two pick instead of getting Darnold. Then he, he, he um, opts to keep Manning for like $20 million, gets the cap. And then he plays it for two games. He signs. Uh, he drafts Jones with the sixth pick instead of getting a pass rusher, like you know, um, the the pass rusher was was uh, from Buffalo. They don't get Josh Allen. Then the seventeenth pick, they don't get a, a pass rusher. And then they sign um, Leonard Williams, not signing the trade for him, and he's done nothing. So now they're like obligated to sign him. Then, the, but if they don't sign him, they give a, um, I guess, a fifth pick. But then they give a third pick, no matter what. So he has done some horrible moves as as a GM, and I think he's got to go. But obviously, he's going to get another year. Um, Shermer has to go too, but he might get another year because Daniel Jones. But it just Shermer is not meant for New York. Like this, is the comments he makes, like they have to, like he basically like, he, he finds an excuse that like, he never hold the team accountable, you know. I like I like the fiery coach like a Bill Parcell, Dicka. He's not like that. You know, he, he just he's not good with the media at all, especially when they lose Giants fans don't want to hear, you know, how they're getting better, they're proven. We don't want to hear that, you know. He should hold people accountable. You know, but they don't he don't do that. I don't like it. Well, Chris, thanks so, for the call. There's there's so much there. Uh listen, do you want a guy like Adam Gase who who holds players accountable in front of the media? It's like shark feeding season. I don't agree with that either. And I also think that Saquon Barkley still was a better pick at, at, at you know, number two overall because you got your quarterback this year if you're, if you're a Giant fan. When you look at the statistical categories, you know, Daniel Jones and Sam Darnold are, are very similar in lockstep. So you really didn't miss on it because you got Saquon Barkley and your quarterback now. And when you look at Dave Gettleman's draft class, I mean, you got to give him some time. He's, he brought you Saquon Barkley. He brought you Will Hernandez, who's been really good. He's brought you Lorenzo Carter in, in last year's third round. He's brought you B.J. Hill, third round of 2018. And R.J. McIntosh, okay, so round five. He missed on him. Okay, good, whatever. And Kyle Lolletta missed on him too. Okay. But his first three rounds, they haven't been, been bad players. When you look at tw- 2019, I mean, obviously, he the hill he's going to die on or live on, is the number six pick overall of Daniel Jones, which, me included, I was like, what are they doing? But but, but that's why I'm not the GM of the Giants, and, and you either. You're not the GM of the Giants either. Daniel Jones has been, besides the fumbles, really good for the Giants as a rookie. Yeah, sure, they passed on Josh Allen. I'm sure they would have loved to have him. Anybody would have loved to have him. He went next, actually, to the Jaguars. And I don't know. Time will tell. I mean, they're both good players as of right now. 
and the Giants needed the quarterback. I agree with you that that they should not have signed Eli Manning for all that money for two games. But then when you look at, okay, Daniel Jones, round one. Dexter Lawrence, round one. DeAndre Baker, who he, there's something mentally wrong with him, you know, in his mental game. You know, he, he hasn't been playing up to round one potential. I'll give you that. Zimenez has been okay. Julian Love. I mean, these are all players. Darius Slayton, round five, 171 overall. Talk about that. Darius Slayton, who, who has emerged as, as Daniel Jones' number one target. He loves throwing to him. Found him in round five. And I still think Corey Ballantyne has uh, some real good potential, although he hasn't really shown it. Um, give him one more year. I I give Dave Gettleman one more year, and I also give Pat Shermer one more year. And we can get into that why in a little while. Paul, North Arlington, you're on the fan. Hey, what's going on? How are you? Good, how are you? Um, I just want to talk about the Devils, and I heard about your points with the Yankees and the Mets. The Mets, at this point, they're good. Their pitching's good. They need more bats in the lineup. That's all they need. Yep, and there'll be a solid team with solid coaching or a solid GM or a manager, whatever you want to call them. Mm-hmm. Solid dude there. They'll be a solid team. They'll make the wild card. They'll make the playoffs. Yankees, they need starting pitching, and then they'll win the whole thing if they have good solid pitching. Like guys, they'll go into inning six, seven, or eight innings. Yep, instead I agree. Of pulling them at the instead of pulling dudes in the fourth and the fifth inning. Yep. But my real point is with the Devils. Yep. I'm not. De- I I was a Devils fan growing up. Not a Devils fan after, like, because my whole family was all Devils fans. I'm not a Devils fan anymore. I learned how to watch and, like, like my own teams and pick for myself. Okay. Um, the who, Devils, who is your um, team? Who is your team? I'm an LA Kings fan. Okay. We're not that good. We're very embarrassing to watch. Okay. But I will say, though, I I watch Devils games because I live on the East Coast. I live in New Jersey. It's the best game I can pick up. Rangers, they're kind of brutal to watch here and there. Devils, even worse. Losing 4-0 on their opening night. They lost 5-4 in overtime. Mm, they're at the bottom of the I Metropolitan feel, Division. I feel like their problem isn't with their defense, the people signing. Their problem is with the goaltending. And when their goaltending's on point, the problem is with the offense. Yeah, they, can, they can't put it together. And, and they've had they, how many goaltenders? Yeah, it's like a revolving door of goaltenders. But I there feel too. like Keith Kincaid, I felt like Keith Kincaid was their guy. Not Corey Schneider. I never thought Corey Schneider was a great goaltender. Yeah, he's probably in the top 20 in the NHL. You can put him on some team that has good defense. Put him on a team like Boston or somewhere where they have a great defense. Well, isn't that the same story that we've been talking about with Henrik Lundqvist as well? I mean, when you put a good defense in front of him, too. Henrik Lundqvist, he gets cut by his own sword every year. Yep. He He does too much. He doesn't... He is so good. Amazing, he'll get the Rangers to the playoffs, but he does too much when he gets to the playoffs. He tries to put overload instead of simplifying his game. Well, when you... Corey Schneider, on the other hand, he is doing much, but he's hurt half the time. When he made that crazy save against Capo or whatever in preseason, I knew he was hurt after he did that, whoever won those saves that he had in the postseason where he did full split. You're a preseason I get it. Preseason, it's eh. It's to show how well you guys work together. It's to build the team bonding. But if you're going to go out and do 110% in preseason and hurt yourself before the season even starts, 
then it's kind of a problem. And he's been doing this ever since the Devils re-signed him and gave him a nice contract. Yeah, and and uh, Paul, thanks for the call. I mean, when you look at the Eastern Conference of hockey, we're talking hockey right now, the Devils are the bottom dwellers. They are the Knicks of the Metropolitan Division. Then you got the Rangers, who are not much better in the win column. They've got 12 wins to the Devils' nine. Then there's this team called the New York Islanders. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of them. On a historic season, 16 wins. 16-5 and they are. And that's after a three-game losing streak. The Islanders have pretty much lost in the last three games, more games than they've lost the entire season. That's how historic this season has been. But the Devils have a revolving door in the goal crease. And the Rangers, although they have a great goaltender, the defense has been plaguing them for, I don't know, two, three years at least. They don't have a good defense in front of them. So that contributes to Henrik Lundqvist not saving as many pucks as he should. Or or maybe being, let me put it this way, having to save more pucks than he should. That makes more sense. So there's a higher, once there's more higher shots and goal, obviously there's more of a chance that they're going to, they're going to score. So if the defense can stop them with some of those shots, then you get, you put them in a better chance to save the game. Mm, quite literally. Mark in Bayside, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. I hope you had a great uh, Thanksgiving. I did. Thanks. I hope you did too. Yeah, thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Uh, what I wanted to uh, talk about is, uh, why I think there is a good chance the, the Yankees might actually get uh, Jared, uh, Garrett Cole. Uh, I'm thinking that the last time the Yankees made a major move to get a pitcher like this was way back in 2009 when at that time they got CC Sabathia, uh, yeah. who, who really helped them win that uh, 2009 World Series. And A.J. Burnett. And, and A.J. Burnett. And... and uh, you know, also they, they got uh, Mark Teixeira mm-hmm. then as well. So the Yankees really haven't made that many major moves in recent years. And my thinking is it's going to be 11 years since they made it to the World Series. Uh, I, I do realize that Jared Cole uh, might want to go to the Angels because he lives, I think they said he lived, grew up like five minutes literally away. From he was a Yankee fan growing up. Yeah, of course. But he was a Yankee fan growing up. and. And I think if the Yankees, uh, you know, uh, press him on the idea that, that that he'd be coming to a team that he grew up rooting for, mm-hmm. and the Yankees with him could uh, would, would win the World Series, and he just missed the uh, you know winning the World Series with the uh, Astros, I, I would think that uh, you know if they could really sell him on that idea, and, and of course offer him enough money, uh, I think the Yankees could actually do it. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? And Mark, thanks for the call. I just I think that yes, the nostalgia factor is there, but when you really come down to it, Mark, money talks. I mean, if the Yankees are not the highest bidder, Garrett Cole will not go to the Yankees. I think it's really that simple. I mean, really, you are the best pitcher in baseball. You have every team theoretically trying to get your attention, trying to get you to come to them, and you have your choice of the litter. And the team that offers you the most money, that's where you're going. I wouldn't take, if I were him, I wouldn't take any sort of pay cut to go to my hometown team 
Because guess what? I might be the missing piece for any team to take them to the World Series. I think fandom sort of kind of goes out the window a little bit, at least, when when you play. Because I know a kid in my high school, who I went to high school with, grew up a Giants fan. War number 56 for Lawrence Taylor. Gets drafted by the Cowboys. The Dallas Cowboys. Now his name was Sean. I sat behind him in algebra class and in band. And Sean gets in, in the heart of North Jersey, Giants country, gets drafted by the Dallas Cowboys. And you know what? He got that phone call from, from Jerry Jones, and he was very thankful for it. Very thankful to just have made the NFL. And to the Dallas Cowboys, no less. So what I'm saying is, yeah, you could sell him on, you could sell Garrett Cole on on being, oh, this is your Yankees, your hometown team. Um, but really when it comes down to it, you go where the money is. You follow the money. You can't blame him. Everybody would do it. And it's up to the Yankees now to pony up. He is their missing piece. You know, besides the bats that went actually dormant. But he is the missing piece. The Yankees need a number one starter. That's it. So we'll talk more Yankees pitching after the break. Maybe some Mets. And we have to, it's it's NFL weekend. We got to get into the Giants and Packers and Jets and, and Bengals. Um, and more of your calls coming up after the break. Let's get on get on hold. 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan, and he's Marco Belletti. It's a holiday weekend hockey special. Be listening today at 1 p.m. as the New Jersey Devils host the New York Rangers at the Prudential Center. Exclusively on your flagship station for Devils Hockey. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Welcome back to The Fan. I'm Daniel McCartan here with you until 6 a.m. We've got Pat behind the glass. He's DJ Pat tonight. We've got Avicii on, <laughs> on the track. Uh, and it's, what, 3.23 in the morning. You are definitely listening as you're shutting down the bars and clubs in New York. So let's keep the party going. 877-337-6666. Hey, we were just talking about maybe if you're hitting up the clubs, you were probably at Black Friday. We are just talking about some Black Friday deals for the Yankees and for the Mets. I think for a backup catcher, you got to go Drew Butera, Jonathan Lucroy. For the Mets, they're looking for bullpen help. Their Black Friday option I'm giving them is Sergio Romo. For a player, Sterling Marte. Sterling Marte. He's, he's with the Pirates now, and I think if the Mets made a trade for him, maybe Pittsburgh needs a starting pitcher, so maybe it's going to be Steven Matz. And a funny tweet that I had gotten, uh, where is it, uh, from at Amanda... F-A-F-I-18 says, Mats, I will drive him to the airport. <laughs> no charge. So Mets fans, maybe you're going to pull the trigger on that move. And for the Yankees, I mean, obviously, if they can't get Garrett Cole or Steven Strasburg or any of the one, two, three, four other top guys in Keiko, Bumgarner, Wheeler, or Ryu, well, you'd have to think that they're not no longer in the market for a number one. They're looking for uh, maybe a three or a four. And my options for the Yankees for a Black Friday starter would be Gio Gonzalez or Tanner Roark. What I like about Roark is that he's never missed a game due to injury. I'm sure, I hope, I don't mush him, but um, I, I, that's attractive to me. I kind of like that. Um, and, hey, they've got both of them, Roark and Gonzalez, ERAs over 3.6, so maybe it, it'll be a project for the new Yankees pitching coach, which we'll talk about momentarily. 
But first, let's head out to Westchester. Marty, you're on the fan. Yes, good morning, Danielle. How are you, yeah, I'd like to echo Mark's thoughts about uh, Jared Cole. You know, the Yankees have uh, been in the playoffs uh, the last uh, three years, uh, made it to two ALCSs. It's time to go for the jugular and yep. definitely go after either Cole, Strasburg, or Bumgarner. Yep. Uh, it's, it's very important because, uh, you know, I mean, uh, they still have a window of opportunity. They still have a lot of young players. Uh, but it's been kind of frustrating the last couple of years to get so close to the World Series and come up so short. Yep. Also, I'd like to pose a question to you. Uh, you mentioned about uh, backup catchers. Uh, where do you think uh, Austin Romine might end up this off season? Uh, Marty, that's a good question. Um, if I consult my my crystal ball, I I really don't know. Um, I think he's he's an okay player. Um, I just typed in Romine on Google, and it seems that the Pittsburgh Pirates might be interested in him. Um, the Phillies might be interested in him. Is what else is coming up? NBC Sports. Um, I don't know. I I don't know. I don't have any ins- inside information. Um, I don't know really. But according to the top stories on Google, it says either Pittsburgh or the Phillies. And man, the Phillies are. I mean, this is just another name that the Phillies are are in on. I mean, every single player that you, that, you, that you're seeing. It's like the Phillies are in on him. And is that the Joe Girardi effect? I mean, you got Didi Gregorius rumored to be there. I mean, a bunch of other guys. But is this the Joe Girardi effect that the Mets sort of kind of missed out on? I don't know. I don't know because now the Mets are – now if if the Phillies land one of these big guys, like maybe Didi even, who used to play for Joe Girardi – and so I think that's attractive for him if the money's there. I mean, if the I mean the Mets now would reside in probably the most difficult division in I mean, not difficult but more depth-wise division in all of baseball. You have the Braves who have um won the NL East what? The past 2 years. You have the Washington Nationals who came out of nowhere and won the World Series last year. And then you have the Phillies making some big moves. I mean, the, the Mets, they have some the work cut out for them for sure. What they're missing is like one more bat, but more importantly, a bullpen that is functional. That's not going to be the worst bullpen in baseball. And then see what happens. Because if you, I did my McCartan math here a couple months ago on the fan. If the Mets saved, seven, I think it was 70% of the games, I think they would win eight more games last year. If they only save seventy percent of the games that they didn't save, that's remarkable. So the Mets need to be all in on bullpen help, and they missed really bad Will Smith. And not only did they miss, he went to the Braves. So I've been meaning to talk about this. the The, the Yankees and the Mets have both hired new pitching coaches, and they're both heavily into analytics. Both guys, Matt Blake for the Yankees, Jeremy Hafner for the Mets. And I'm a baseball nerd, so I, I love this. And, for example, Hefner of the Mets now. As a pitcher, he went and studied Adam Wainwright's delivery because it was similar to his. He compared video to and, and everything. He logged charts in order to better his own delivery. I, that's, that's what we're talking about here. We're not talking about, you know, oh, the third time through the order, let's take him out. No, we're talking about using analytics Technology to improve the mechanics 
of a pitcher. That's what I love. And by the way, I don't toot my own horn here, but I have used it on my own teams. I've used it, it comes right to my mind, two situations. There was a girl on the softball team. She had the case of, what is it called, the yips, the Chuck Knobloks. She couldn't throw the ball. All of a sudden, a little video evidence, a little hard work, a little rep- positive repetitions. She was throwing the ball. Then yet you have the kids that use it on their swings. You know, this is where you're dipping your shoulder, this, this, this. And also, I just thought of a time where I used it, or I have used it, on the volleyball court. You know, you, you think your body's doing one thing, and on video it shows that you're doing something else. And that that's valuable. I used it um, in serving, really. Um, the point of contact has to be out in front where you would let go of a, of, of a baseball. And so a lot of kids get it behind their head, you know, too high. And they think they're doing it the right way. When you show them, they really realize that they're not doing it the right way. So Matt Blake, who's with the Yankees now, he's the pitching coordinator at Cressley Sports Performance. Um, and this is not a commercial for him, but it's a program that has worked with um, Noah Syndergaard, Max Scherzer, Kurt Schilling, um, Matt Blake was most recently with the Indians. He was the director of player development, pitching director, and now with the Yankees. He's um, Terms that have been to describe him are cutting edge is the word. Um, Trevor Bauer says on Twitter that he's awesome. He's one of the smarter guys I know. He knows a lot about pitching, a lot about development. He's a good communicator, et cetera. Really excited for him getting this opportunity and pumped to see the results. That's Trevor Bauer, who's not a Yankee <laughs> or a Met. And I know a lot of Yankees fans were very sad that they missed out on maybe David Cohn. I know David Cohn, you know, the nostalgia factor. We were talking about it just before with Garrett Cole. You know, Cohn's the former Yankee, the all-star, five-time World Series champion, AL Cy Young winner. I get it. But this was not a good hire of Matt Blake. This was a great one. We can all agree, and here's why I say this. We can all agree, everybody, Garrett Cole is the best pitcher in baseball, right? I think that's pretty unanimous. And if you're shaking your head no right now, you're wrong. (laughs) He wasn't, though, when he was with the Pirates. He was when he was with the Astros. So, you know, he had the Pirates. I'm trying to paraphrase this. And he was 59 and 42 with a 3-5 ERA. Um, Since that spring training meeting, uh, his regular season in 35 and 10. That's the difference. So, basically, here's the story of Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole walks into a conference room after one of the first spring training workouts with the Houston Astros. that Let's put that February of 2018. He's met by like 10 people. He says that there were charts, video, matching charts. And it was all new then, but it's pretty straightforward now, he says. And Garrett Cole transformed into perhaps the, most, the best pitcher in the major leagues after that one-hour presentation, which told him to increase the use of his four-seam fastball and curveball. And dropped his two-seam sinker, and told him to attack this top of the strike zone far more frequently than he had been. He said, I hadn't dove into that whole realm much before. I guess that's just what's most surprising, that you can even forecast what a pitch would project to be like against the rest of the league. That's what the Yankees got in this guy, Matt Blake, by the way. The results of that meeting, double-digit strikeouts in 23 of 35 starts. And he struck out at least one batter in 73 straight innings, Garrett Cole did. 
I mean, that was there was a record in 1961. Cole demolished it by 33 innings, the streak. I mean, Cole threw, we could talk more after the break too, but just over 8% of his pitches in the upper third of the strike zone during his last season with the Pirates. With the Astros, he hammered that part 13% of the time. And then when we talk about high and wide, 11.5% of his pitches were high and wide versus the Pirates. With the Pirates, I'm saying. With the Astros, 21%. You got Aaron Boone marveling at Cole's ability to pitch at the top of the strike zone with his high-end fastball and really command it up there. Throw it at the top or expand it just enough to get swings. Is this foreshadowing for what's to come in the Bronx next season? Huh. Yankee fans sure hope so because dominant isn't even the word to describe Garrett Cole. It has been aided and accelerated by this embracing of these baseball nerds. So I was curious and I said, well, what is this stuff? What is Trackman? What is Rapsodo? Trackman baseball? Matt Blake is, is um, very well versed in this. It's a 3D Doppler radar system that measures the location, trajectory, and spin rate of hit and pitched baseballs. It's a combination of measured radar, derived traditional data, our users, blah, blah, blah. it comes from the website. Tracks release height, horizontal break, vertical break, and I talked about it before, that the Astros use this to revamp Justin Verlander's career. They got him to release point on his fastball six inches higher than he was in Detroit. And he was like a finalist for the AL Cy Young Award. I mean, the release point is six inches higher. How would anybody think about that without having analyzed this? And it works. It's worked. And if Cole makes the Yankees swing and miss this season, well, I mean, he's going to be real expensive, but maybe Zach Wheeler might be an interesting analytics project. I mean, he's suffered through inconsistencies in his entire career. He can give up seven runs an outing or zero. He's, he's the most dominant pitcher sometimes in the league, and it's head-scratching. So maybe the Yankees could do to Wheeler what the Astros did to Cole. And maybe it's not far out of the realm of possibility. And we're talking about RPMs even and, and ERAs. It's just... Garrett Cole was totally a different pitcher from where he was in Pittsburgh to where he is or was with the Astros. And the Yankees, with the new hire, Matt Blake, especially in the Mets as well, they have all the tools that the Astros had at their disposal right now. It's possible in the Bronx. It's possible. You know what else is possible? A football weekend here. The Giants maybe possibly beating the, the Packers. Let's talk about it. And how about the Jets beating the Bengals? Talk more after the break. 877-337-6666. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Hi, this is Bob Papa. Get ready for a Sunday NFL triple header. First up, it's the Giants and Packers with Giants game day at 1130. Kickoff at 1. Then it's the Chiefs and Raiders, followed by the Patriots and Texans. Exclusively on your flagship station for the Giants and NFL football. The Fan, Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66. WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. DJ Pat Boyle back in the building here. Jackie Chan. Love it. Let's go. 
Yeah. Now let's talk about the Giants and Packers this Sunday coming from MetLife Stadium. But first, before we even talk about that, have you guys seen the forecast for Sunday? First of all, we're under a winter storm watch here in this area through Tuesday morning. Heavy snow and mixed precip. Last I checked, there was the total snow accumulation of 8 to 12 inches inland, 5 to 8 elsewhere. And then you also have what's the worst part about it all, the light glaze of ice. This is what the Giants will be playing the Packers in, in Sunday, on Sunday. Specifically, Sunday will start out as snow, then turn to rain. You get one to three inches of snow and ice, and there, there isn't any wiggle room. There's a 100% chance it's going to snow. This is the Weather Channel saying this, too. This is no JV news. And when you talk about Giants and Packers, well, I think Aaron Rodgers is going to have a field day versus these Giants quarterbacks. I think he's going to have his third helping of a feast this Thanksgiving weekend because, well, the Packers have only eight giveaways this year. And Aaron Rodgers has two interceptions in 380 throws. Hey, well, by the way, Daniel Jones is working on his own little streak. Daniel Jones has thrown one interception in 100 passes. Or none. I'm sorry. No interceptions in his last 100 passes. So he's working on his own little streak. But let's go back to Aaron Rodgers. Because, okay, so there's Janoris Jenkins. He's been, you know, up and down. Then at corner you got a uh, revolving door of, of sorts. You got DeAndre Baker, who's allowed four touchdown passes himself and a passer rating of 125.6. All right, then maybe you'll put Grant Haley there instead if you're Pat Shermer. Well, Grant Haley's allowed an 80% catch rate, passer rating of 115. All right, so let's try Corey Ballantyne there. He's allowed a ton of yards per target, almost 11 yards per target, first down every single time he's targeted. A passer rating of 120. But then again, you got the Packers wide receivers. They're, they're somewhat struggling. Devontae Adams, which is probably his number one target over the last three games, has only 18 catches. And Aaron Rodgers is only has a rating of 68 when he targets him. So that might work somewhat to the Giants' advantage. But then again, the Packers are coming off that loss, and they're going to be coming out with a vengeance. There's also some issues in the pass blocking for Green Bay's offensive line. And having a very quiet season, Marcus Golden. He's got a team-high seven and a half sacks. And that's the highest total by a Giants linebacker since, I'll give you the year, 1999, Jesse Armstead. Jesse Armstead had nine sacks in a season. Next. The 2019 Marcus Golden. Season's not done, and he's got seven and a half. It's been a sneakily quiet season for, for Golden. Not many people mention that. Then you got you got this little piece for the Giants. Just trying to find a little hope here. Bears average just two and a half yards in the ground. Jets a little over two and a half yards on the ground. So what do you say for Aaron Jones and the Packers? Hopefully none of the same because in my little free league that we're playing in my fantasy league, Aaron Jones is my running back. So hopefully those statistics do not hold true for Sunday because you've got to think, you know, in this weather, 
the the uh, the projected weather anyway, that it's going to be a ground game. So you got Aaron Jones versus Saquon Barkley. I mean, hopefully Aaron Jones goes off and has a great game because I'm playing the number one team this week, and I would like to. So I made a mistake. I, I also made a mistake. Montgomery, the running back for the the Bears, he hasn't been doing too well. Scored like 17 points this week. I benched him. <laughs> and then I also, the New Orleans defense was like, eh, you know, like, I don't know about them. I was like, who? Atlanta, that, that could be like a trap game, you know, on, on the national stage, a league game. So I decided to bench the New Orleans defense. They scored 16 points. So I'm banking on the Carolina defense to just demolish the Redskins, I hope, for my team. And I hope that these Giants statistics are not true. Because that means Aaron Jones, I need him. <laughs> I really need him. I'm playing the number one team. I'm in fourth, by the way. I'm playing the number one team, and I need to win this week. She's got Lamar Jackson, though, and Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey, by the way, for that caller that called in about uh, Dave Gettleman, was a Dave Gettleman pick down there in Carolina. So um, Aaron Jones has 17 touchdowns in 17 games. So let's let's cut to the chase here. We can talk more about Giants storylines, obviously, but as far as the game is concerned, Giants Packers. Um, I'm gonna go Packers thirty four, Giants ten. Packers thirty four, Giants ten. And I was almost right last week. By the way, Chicago game. I said it was gonna end on a missed field goal on the, on the the Bears. Lo and behold, Alger Rose dismisses two field goals of his own. And that's the difference in the game. And I almost nailed the score. Just for the wrong teams. Randy in Sayreville, you're on the fan. Danielle, how are you tonight? Good, how are you? Well, I'm a uh, Rutgers diehard fan. Uh, my poor wife had worked there for about 25 years mm-hmm. in the sports marketing department. And... Uh, if they get this one wrong, Danielle, I think uh, I'm going to have a divorce with this team because this is the only guy, Seattle, who can bring this team back because they're not going to get anybody with a big name unless they get somebody on the West Coast or whatever. And it does never work when they do that because nobody knows these people. And they're certainly not going to get a big name. If they don't get this guy, who are they going to get? Are they going to get somebody at some high school? I mean, who are they going to get? This guy can do it. I mean, I got to give him the Morse. What's that Morse thing on Sunday? Come on, man. <laughs> they got to get this guy. No matter what it takes. Well, it, it's... He's the only guy that could possibly do it. Yeah, it, but it sounds like it's pretty much shut down. No, I know. I know. I know it is. But that's my point, that they said they brought it back to the table. But I just don't understand what direction are they going in. They're in the Big Ten. You know, what? I mean... Then get out of the Big Ten and go play right. in the Mickey Mouse League somewhere. Right. The Ivy League or something. <laughs> well, the Rutgers can't play in the Ivy League, but so the... Well, you know what I'm trying I to know, say. I know, I know, I know. So the university, so they offered him eight years, $32 million, with $25 million guaranteed. And then they're giving him it seven and a half... Money so, it's not the money so much, Danielle. It's the facilities. The facilities are 75 years behind the times. Have you ever been to Iraq? Have you ever been to the basketball arena? I have not. No, I've been to the football. You have not. But well, not. let me tell you something. There's two high schools in the same county that are nicer than that. 
Yeah. Come on. I mean, let's go. If you, if you want to play in the Big Ten, you got to compete with the facilities also. Sure. And that's what he's talking about. Sure. They had a bubble, you know, a bubble that's been there before my wife was there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's that. That's what the expectation is to play in the Big Ten, and I could see, Randy, thank you for the call, how that would play into a recruit's decision-making. If you're going to Michigan and you're touring their facilities, uh, and then you're seeing a practice bubble, I'll take your word for it, Randy, you seem like you're very lifelong, um, you're very entrenched in the Rutgers community there. You know, if you're looking at the, their facilities as and you're comparing them to the, those of uh, Michigan or Ohio State as a recruit, uh, I'm not so inclined to pick Rutgers. You're right from a recruiting standpoint. But the sticking point, yeah, obviously was the um, was the facilities, and, and that was something that Greg Schiano had um, had said. And Greg Schiano is a member of of the community in which I am part of as well. And um. What I say is there's two ways you can do this. Like the caller said, drop out of the Big Ten, go play in a different league, build it up, and then maybe make another bid again later. Or this eight-year $32 million, and they're giving them $7.5 million to spend on coaches and football operations staff. I mean, $32 million is, is a lot with $25 million guaranteed. So, I don't know, maybe you put... If you really feel, maybe you put some of your own money towards it. Maybe you, maybe you strike a deal that way. And you say, all right, no, let's do this. Let's do six years. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm just at the bargaining table here now. But, I, I you know, this make-believe bargaining table. But, it, you know, if, if they really need to get it done and if they really want to get it done, they're going to get it done. And until then, Rutgers is going to wallow. You know, I, I Nunzio Campanile, who is has taken over for that team as interim coach, I was thinking about getting him on here. Um, just to talk about what's going on. I mean, he's been the interim coach last six games. They were one and six. And, you know, I don't know if that counts today's, but uh, today's a win. But I don't know. I just don't know what's going on down there in Rutgers because when you think about the products that have come out of Rutgers, you think of obviously the McCordys. I'm talking football now. Obviously, Devin and Jason McCordy, who are Super Bowl champions. Obviously, Deron Harmon, who is a Super Bowl champion. I mean, those were the days, weren't they, in Rutgers football? Mike Teal, the quarterback, not a Super Bowl champion, but did make it to the NFL, was a starting quarterback in the league. Uh, I know, I know. Rutgers, the State University of New Jersey, they played in, what, the first collegiate football game versus Princeton. You know, there's a storied history there that that right now it's it's dark. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't put it at a zero percent chance that Tatiano doesn't come back to Rutgers. It's not zero. That's what they're saying. He could be convinced, but the facilities is a major sticking point. If you want to recruit one of the top kids in the nation to come play for you. What can you sell them on? There's not much to sell them on other than the fact that, well, maybe they're going to be the big fish in the little pond, maybe. I mean, you got LeGrand. um, All the former players are coming out 
everybody's saying that they want Shiano. Ah, uh, I I don't really know. I don't have any answer. But I don't know. Maybe I could. Uh, maybe I can find some for you guys this week. Who knows? We'll talk more Giants, more Jets, more NFL football after the break. Get on the phone, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight on The Fan. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66 WFAN. And welcome into the 4 o'clock hour. I'm Danielle McCartan after midnight, or now shall we say McCartan in the morning. We are talking a bunch of different things. We've got a lot on the table right now. We've got Yankees and Mets, their Black Friday deals, their moves that they should make. We've got, um, we really haven't even really touched the the Jets or or Giants coming up, their games this weekend. Uh, We talked a little bit about the Giants, but not not as much as I wanted to do yet. And the Jets and zero. Talked also zero about the, the, I I always want to say New Jersey, the, the Brooklyn Nets. Because um, I know them as, as New Jersey Nets. And uh, and now we are talking, right now we have a call on hold uh, about Rutgers. And the fact that Greg Schiano is the guy to, to re-resurrect this program. Um, the major sticking point seems to be um, for the university. I mean, I, I'm not the, the most well-versed in this, I'll be honest. But they offered him $32 million and then pretty much $8 million to spend on his coaches and whatever. So I looked up during the break the the salaries of the 14 Big Ten head coaches. And you got Jim Harbaugh at Michigan at, top, at the top with $7 million, just to give you an idea. Then you got number two, Urban Meyer, Ohio State, $6.4 million. This is not counting their bonuses. It's just salary. And then you got to go all the way down to 13th out of 14 to find what Chris Ash was making. And Chris Ash obviously was the ousted coach of Rutgers football. Um, and he was making $2.1 million, 13th out of 14th. Now, if it's eight years and $32 million, that puts, let me do some little math here, that puts Greg Schiano at $4 million a year. That would put him uh, in sixth place, the sixth highest paid coach in the Big Ten. Behind schools like Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, Iowa, Michigan State, then Rutgers. Um, that last caller just called in and talked about the facilities. Um, I see the football facility. I've seen it. I've been there just a few times. I think it's fine. Um, but obviously, we're talking just football here. I don't. I don't know about the rack. I've never been to the rack. He mentioned that. Um, I don't know. I, and I I could see that as a coach, you would want an improvement to your facilities if you're comparing them against these schools for your recruits. Because if you can't attract the biggest name recruits, then you it eventually reflects on you, the head coach. I do understand that. I do get that. Um, And I don't know what the solution is here. And, I, and I'm not pretending to know the solution. I'm just trying to give the facts and, and state what's going on here. Um, and Andy, I, I have a question for you before we start. Where exactly is Bagel Street? Uh, it's in Plainsboro, New Jersey, right by Princeton Hospital. Okay. All right. So yeah, it, I've been calling for years on and off, and that's what I've always I use my work. 
Okay. <laughs> bagel Street. All right, you got it, Andy. I love yeah. toasted bagels. Those are my favorite. Uh, <laughs> no, you know, how you doing, Danielle? All right, how are you? Uh, you know, my son was recruited for football. He was recruited for lacrosse there. At Rutgers. And, yeah, at Rutgers. My son plays lacrosse presently in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And the facilities, like, they were promising – Within a year or two, they're going to have a whole new lacrosse building. They have nothing for the lacrosse program privately. None of their own stuff. They share everything. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a tough place to bring players. Is my point. Right. Like the best New Jersey football players and lacrosse players just won't go there. Basketball players they don't go to Rutgers. And I I, I feel I I wanted my son to go there because I'm from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. But in the bottom line, you know, now he's at a school that has a lacrosse facility that's you know it's its own building. It's its own field. Do you know? What I mean? Do you understand yeah. what I mean? Their yeah. own weight room. Right. You know. So I mean, it, it's different. I, I understand why football players don't want to, and I understand what Coach Giano is saying. You know. Yeah. By I mean, wanting better facilities. I mean, I do too because it, eventually it reflects back onto him. Like they're saying, "Oh, we gave you thirty-two million dollars, and why can't you win a game here?" Well, you, it's it's like you can't give me the facilities, so I can't attract the biggest talent. It's like a it's like a vicious cycle there. <laughs> Listen, and I agree. My son could have went there for free, mm-hmm. okay? And he, he did, opted to have some debt. And so I don't know if that tells you anything. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? He, he opted yeah. to have debt instead of going there for free. Full, full ride. Yeah. And he opted for a different school. And that, that's so telling. I, yeah. yeah. You know, but I figured I'd just throw that in yeah, there. Yeah, I know. I appreciate the call. Thanks, Andy. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Um, yeah, and then so, and here's the other thing, too. Rutgers fans, they started like a GoFundMe account, and they've raised in like the first twenty four hours, they raised a quarter of a million dollars for Shiano for for the cause. And this is the biggest joke of all. You ready for this one? Governor Chris, former former governor Chris Christie, has come out strongly against the Shiano return. Christie on Monday sharply criticized. This is from uh, app.com. Christie on Monday sharply criticized Shiano for seeking a contract that reportedly would ha- include an unlimited use of a private jet. Oh, wait a minute. Like, scratch that. Wait a second. He said he's an unemployed football coach who now wants the taxpayers of the state of New Jersey to pay for his private air travel. <laughs> wait a second. Wait a second. Wasn't Chris Christie the one who took his his state-paid-for helicopter to his son's games because he didn't want to be late because he was a working parent and didn't want to be late. Why don't you tell that to all the other parents sitting in the traffic on the on the highways that you create you can't fix? Oh, don't even get me started on that. that that's just laughable that he would say that um, about Shiano. I mean, it is a sticking point. I really don't think we should be praying for his private air travel, but who's Chris Christie to talk about that? He used it for how many years here in New Jersey? Larry in Hackensack, you're on the fan. Yes, um, I have to laugh about Seattle coming back to Jersey. I thought he, I think the state of New Jersey should have, should have sued him after he got him a Big Ten, spent all that money, and then he just disappears. He had a lot of players. He had good players playing for New Jersey and workers. Ray Rice, the McCourney brothers. I mean, it's unbelievable that 
I mean, I, I I I don't know what to say. I mean, when you when you upgrade the class that you're playing in, of course the competition is going to be better. And I think that's that's I, I didn't like the move at the time. The Rutgers moving into the Big Ten. I, I didn't like it at the time because I didn't think they were just I didn't think they were there yet. There in quotes, you know, I didn't think they were there yet. I mean, of course they had the guys like they had a good program. They had they had. Like you said, Ray Rice, they had the McCordys, they had all that. But I think Greg Shannon learned from the first time around, you know, the first stint that he had here, that, okay, I'll come back, but it's going to be under my terms right now. And I think the, the Rutgers is in, like, a new position to pick and choose. Um, pick and choose. <laughs> Who they? Because th- obviously, it's it's not a coveted position. Nobody wants that. I mean, you need a special person to come in to re re resurrect the program. And I could talk about that because where I wh- where I am where I was, I resurrected the program there. I was part of it, and it's very long hours. It's it's thankless. Because when you finally get it to the point where it's supposed to be, they tell you no thanks. Thank, thanks, but no thanks. Which is really heartbreaking, really, in my case. But it's it's a lot of work. And, and you know, you're if I wasn't plastered out to the face of uh, ESPN and, and SI.com and, and like, like Shiano currently still is, that wasn't me. And I and and if this guy fails, that is that it's career suicide for him. So you can't blame him for wanting it the way he wants it at this point. I mean, he's got a ton of support from the community, and it's putting Rutgers in a bad spot—not well, in a bad spot, but in in a, they're forcing Rutgers' hand to do this to make this move. I mean. I think the the private unlimited jet. I think that's an abuse of power. I do. I really do. I think across the board that's an abuse of. Why is that part of it? To go recruit. I know to go recruit. I get it. But pay for pay for an economy sick ticket, three hundred bucks a time. No need for a private jet, in my opinion. But I just think it was funny that Chris Christie was the one was the one saying it because well pot kettle black. <laughs> Oh, I can't stand Chris Christie. I'm sorry, um, but I, I don't know. I just, I just think that Greg Schiano does have a point. Besides the fact that it's that's 32 million dollars over what was it, eight years, four million a year. I think that's pretty nice money. Uh, 25 million guaranteed. I think that's like that's really nice money. But and then they're giving him. Of millions of dollars to put the coaches around him that he likes. So it's almost like you just got to like do it. If you know you're capable of doing it, which Shiano seems to think he is capable of doing it, um, the second chance I'm saying, then then you surround your program with, with what you need to make it grow. You utilize Nunzio Campanile and his connection to Bergen Catholic to get some of the best players to stay in New Jersey. You know, Bergen Catholic produces one of the best programs in in the country. You had Mike Teal over there at Don Bosco. 
maybe you can leverage that. I mean, you you can do it. You can do it. It's just a matter of, is he going to sign up to do it? Uh, I don't know. But we also have <laughs> two NFL football teams playing this weekend. We have the Jets playing in what I think is a, a huge trap game in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio this this weekend. And he got uh, the Giants welcoming future Hall of Famer Aaron Rodgers to the stadium. MetLife Stadium, that is. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. We'll talk more after the break. It's a holiday weekend hockey special. Be listening today at 1 p.m. as the New Jersey Devils host the New York Rangers at the Prudential Center, exclusively on your flagship station for Devils Hockey. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. And welcome back to McCartan After Midnight here on WFAN New York City. Man, that's pretty cool. We're on the radio here in New York City. We're taking your phone calls, 877-337-6666. Well, it took one phone call to turn this into a Rutgers show. So this is going to be um, Hank and Richo Park. It's going to be the last Rutgers call we take tonight. and Because we got to get to the big game this weekend, both of them, the Jets and Giants. We haven't talked much about them yet. We will talk about that. But Hank, Richo Park, you're on the fan. Oh, Danielle, yes, I'm looking at that giant injury list too, Danielle. It it's look long. Too promising today. Oh my God, <laughs> I, I don't know how well, how that's going to work. Out I know, today. I know. Uh, I, I mean, you know, when we're Rutgers affiliates, I'm uh, going down there to work a high school state final next week. It's mm-hmm. a it's a nice facility, probably not as nice as they said. Maryland just put on a big uh, addition, and I know Shiana wants to build that up to recruit. Uh, right. You know, we got to keep these kids from Jersey. Right, you know, in in in, in Rutgers, he, you know, because Urban Meyer, when he wins a national championship, the first place he came when he when he could recruit was he comes to the parochials in in uh you know Bergen County, he goes to the St. Joe's, the Bosco's, the Bergen's, the Paramus Catholics, mm-hmm. say St. Peter's. I mean, there's so many kids there, so many games I've done this year. I've seen Franklin at the games. I don't see anybody from Rutgers there. It's, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Franklin's at almost three or four games this year. You know, he's up at Bosco. He's at St. Peter's. You know, he's getting all these kids. Uh, but Rutgers is right in their backyard. So Interesting. Uh, uh, and uh, I was pretty impressed. And uh, I was on Twitter in the afternoon. I saw you in Chicago. Yeah. And you just got done doing a show. I couldn't yeah. believe that. Yeah, I just, that was, uh, I know. I was awesome. I copped out a plane. It took to take 17 minutes to get to Newark Airport from here. And I, uh, I was very <laughs> tired, believe me. But it was so worth it. It was so uh, fun. I always fun seeing you and the, and the girls all at the stadium. I see you had a little cold one there. That was good. You probably needed that. <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> but, well, uh, with that giant game, two missed field goals, you know. Oh, yeah, Rojas, what happened to him? Uh, I mean, Biasi had a couple bad snaps, too. You could see he's not 100%. Yeah. Uh, you know, and then Peppers got hurt, and the defense kind of went in the tank a little bit. Yep. I know. I watched the whole game. You but know, big if giant fans, Roses you made know. the field goals, they would have won the game after with all that. Yeah, Rojas has been struggling. I don't know what the problem is there. No. I know we got a local kid kicking for the Falcons now. The kid cool from yeah, Ridgewood. he's from he's Ridgewood. Doing pretty good. Yeah, I heard. I saw that on TV the other night. Eleven for thirteen. Yeah, he's doing okay. Yeah, uh, you know these are all kids that come out. We got a lot of Jersey. He went to Georgia Southern. He could have went to Rutgers too. I yeah, mean, that's I don't another know one. How these kids end up in all these schools. Jabril Peppers is another one. 
Peppers is another one, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, when he came back to Rutgers from Michigan, he put on a show that one one afternoon over there. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's a great player, you know. Uh, but uh, I'm surprised he didn't make the walk to Tenafly, though. That's a little disappointing. <laughs> you know? I know, I know. Maybe <laughs> next year. <laughs> that's a, you know, that's a big game. I went I to one of those when you were in school. Overtime, when they beat Tenafly, they scored two late touchdowns and then won in overtime when mm-hmm. my nephew played. That was that was cool, but and oh, one thing I want to commend you on that uh, uh, Sims uh, interview last week with, yeah. with Phil. That was tremendous. That was really great work. Thank uh, you. You're doing great. I I'm appreciate it. Big, big fan of you. You know that. <laughs> thank so, you. Thank you. It's great catching up with you. But All right, Hank. We'll see what it means. All right. Thanks for the call, Hank. I appreciate hey, it. Bye, Danielle. Okay. Bye. That's cool. Phil Sims is still still that's interview with Phil Sims. I, I mean that was it, it was really it was something. I mean I'm sitting there watching the Colin Kaepernick workout. I'm like, listen, I I've played Madden. I, you know I played in college in my flag football team as quarterback. I think I know what I'm watching, but I'm like, I got to bring it to my WFA annual audience. I need to bring it to them. And I'm like thinking like scratching my head, eating my pizza, like who? And not Uncle Frank's pizza, by the way, different kind. I said who? is going to be the guy who's going to be able to really ex- extrapolate this and explain this to my audience. Colin Kaepernick, the football player, we're talking. I'm like, oh, Phil Sims. And I sent them the link to watch it, and then we we made a little radio magic there. So I appreciate that, Hank. I, I, and I'm still grateful that Phil Sims came on to do that with me. Rich in Dumont, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Do you know who I am? Rich. Rich from Dumont. I don't. What's your last name, Rich? No, Russo. Come on. Russo. Hi. How are you? <laughs> Good. How are you? Good. First, I'd like to say, like, like say hello to my old buddy and officiating partner, Hank, from Richfield Park. There you go. Making connections here. How you here. doing? Good. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Good. I'm good. I'm good. Um, I was told I had to talk about the Giants. What I want to say is both Gettleman and Schumer need to be fired by the end of the year because they're both terrible. Gettleman thinks he's the smartest guy in the room and he talks down to everybody and we need a real GM. Okay? And Shermer's just a terrible coach. Just a terrible coach. But so, but, but would you think that taking a step, like Daniel Jones taking a step back learning a whole new system, I mean, that's where we were with Darnold. I, you know what? He's only in one year. And I don't think, I think sometimes in life you got to take a step back to take many steps forward. Mm-hmm. So I just, I just think you got to get rid of this guy because he's he's terrible, he's terrible. You know, bring us somebody like Mike McCarthy or I, I I'm I'm uh, personal feeling is Jim Harbaugh if he comes out of Michigan. How about Greg Schiano? No, just kidding. I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> just kidding. No, not Greg Schiano. Not Greg Schiano. Um, so did, did, have you ever told? And I know I told you this in front of a lot of your players and when you were coaching, what, how, you, how you used to dominate the boys in Little League. <laughs> I, I've, mentioned it, I've mentioned it a few times to them. Not, not a lot, but yeah. Not a lot. They used to sit on a mound and you just, you, I don't know, it was unbelievable. <laughs> the boys would walk away with their heads down. <laughs> it's coming in handy now, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, th- uh, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. All right, Danielle. Good luck to you, Thank sweetie. You. Bye. All right, bye. So that's that's a phone call from from uh, 
I went to school with his son since we were in literally kindergarten. And uh, the story about how I used to dominate the boys. I, I played, here's a quick story. I, I played baseball until, baseball with the boys until I, I had to switch this. They made me switch to softball as a freshman in high school. And, uh, and this, this, is, this, is, this is the part of the story that I tell the girls that play on my teams. I tell them that um, when I tried out for Little League, Little League Baseball, we had in our town the Little League and the Minor Leagues, but, you know, of the same grade levels. And coming out of what was called Farm Division, I was going into Little League, and I was I was a really good pitcher. I played first base and shortstop. I was, I was a really good player. And I tried out in front of the boys, and, and maybe some of those coaches that passed on me are listening right now. Um, he wasn't one of them, but I, I was... I did that tryout, and I was—I know I was better than most of the kids there. And um, when the phone call came in, you know, I, you know, my mom picked up the phone. She said, "Oh, um, okay, okay, okay," and then hung up. And she says, "Okay, you you made the the Marlins," and I was like, "Oh, good," thinking the little league team. And she said, "Well, the Marlins minor league team." I tell you, I remember exactly where I was. I sat with my back to the couch, the on the arm of the couch, on the floor, and my feet on the on the the lamp and I sat there and I cried because I knew I was better than most of those kids in that tryout. And not only that, I was on the Marlins minor league team and I was the only kid that was not called up to the major leagues, the major, major Marlins when kids went away or whatever. I was the only kid not called up yet. I made the all-star team every single year. One year I made it as a pitcher as you know, and then so when I when it came to switch to softball, I mean it's a different game. I'll tell you right now, it's a different game. So when Jessica Mendoza sits up in that box and, and calls a Sunday night football game, you got to give her credit. It's a, it's a different game, different strategy and everything, different skill set, etc. You know. So um, I switched to softball. Long story short, I went for a tryout on Saturday morning with the freshman team because I was a freshman, and right after that. When it was over, they said, "Okay, um, could you uh, could you stay for the varsity tryout?" And I remember, I remember that day like it was yesterday. Snow mounds everywhere. We're practicing in the, in the the parking lot of the high school, and I remember they put me right at shortstop. And I remember I I wowed everybody there. I became the starting shortstop of my high school softball team after not making the little league team, the the major little league team. So that's the story that I tell. To my players, you know, when I when I can get them and when, and when I feel like they need it, a little boost. Um, but yeah, and I went on to uh, have a, a pretty su- successful high school career. I probably could have played in college. I just, I just didn't want to. I was just, you know, I just didn't want to. Set up to chat him, Chris. You're on the fan. Hey, Danielle, how are you? Good. How are you? I was just listening to you, and I uh, was was putting on Bruce Springsteen's Glory Days. <laughs> you kind of reminisced. Um, yeah, it's good to talk to you. A um, couple things. You know, I hear a lot about coaching and changes and get rid of Shermer and Chiano and yada, yada, yada. Um, first off, um, the Rutgers situation, you know, I, mean, I went to Penn State. They're not going to um, have any of the Big Ten cash for another 10 years. So whoever negotiated that deal to begin with, as it got into the Big Ten, 
kind of put a dagger in them because not mm-hmm. to get that uh, money from the Big Ten right. puts a big hole, you know, in terms of trying to finance where they need to go. Mm-hmm. In terms of the Giants, uh, look, long-time Giants fan, growing up in Long Island in the 70s, they were horrible. And that's when, you know, us kids around the block, we were allowed to have two teams because our home team was so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so that's why we we rooted for America's team, for Roger Starbuck and Drew Pearson and all those guys and Tom Landry. That was cool. But um, I think one of the uh, mistakes that the Mariners are making and Gettleman are making, and they used to be like the Yankee organization. You notice in the Yankee organization nowadays, it's not just the coach who's out in front of the media. You know, you've got Cashman. Mm, right. Um, you got Hal Steinbrenner occasionally, but you have a sports world now where you just can't be Shermer up there every Sunday. Well, you know, Gettleman hasn't talked to the Maris haven't talked. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. Gettleman's got to talk because, you know, if they're, if they have all these ideas and these, you know, this wondrous kind of progression, um, not to say they're far off. I mean, they're not doing that well this year, but I just don't see all these coaching changes helping out and the McCarthy thing, you know, you look at Aaron Rodgers coming in and wanted somebody ask him, how come McCarthy's not coaching you guys anymore? Mr. Future Hall of Famer. So um, I think New Yorkers are frustrated and New Jerseyans, Tri-State area, we're really frustrated with the whole sporting world right now. But in terms of communication, you know, which is what I am and you are, the uh, the Giants scenario is they've got to come off, they got to come out of the ivory tower they got to get on your show. they got to get on Mike's show. And you know how it is. With more information, more communication, people get to see more, and they're not as apt to say, throw all, throw them all out, because, gosh, that, that really takes a lot of time to recover from. Yeah, Chris, and thanks for calling. I, I see what you're saying. Um, I would love to have any Giants on here. You, you know that. I think anybody listening does know that. I probably would do a bang-up job with it. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. So um, if there's any Giants listening, listen. Call, call in. Let's talk about it. Um, obviously, we have more Giants to talk about. We have more Jets to talk about, and we're going to reset at 5 o'clock. So I'm Daniel McCartan on the fan. Let's get the calls back up, 877-337-6666. Hi, this is Bob Papa. Get ready for a Sunday NFL triple header. First up, it's the Giants and Packers with Giants game day at 1130, kickoff at 1. Then it's the Chiefs and Raiders, followed by the Patriots and Texans, exclusively on your flagship station for the Giants and NFL football. The Fan, Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN-FM, New York. Stargazing might be happening at MetLife Stadium this this weekend as Aaron Rodgers is making his way to MetLife Stadium, future Hall of Famer. Um, but the Giants have another quarterback situation. They have Daniel Jones, who's going to be making his 10th career start. And I just want to remind Giants fans that Eli Manning went 1-6 as a rookie starter back in, way back in 2014. And when you look at the first nine starts for each player, Manning rookie versus Jones rookie, Daniel Jones has almost double the number of touchdowns, less interceptions, infinitely more rushing yards, and, of course, rushing touchdowns. What Daniel Jones needs to do better at, avoiding sacks, I know that's hard, because we had Eli Manning that year, was playing behind Snead, Deal, and O'Hara, and he had straight hand on defense, by the way. The fumbles. The fumbles with Daniel Jones are just, it's just, it's just too much. It's just too many at this point in time. 
But Daniel Jones also this weekend is going to work with a seventh different combination of skill players. Ingram, Tate, Sterling Shepard, and Barkley have yet to play a single down together this season. Now, you got Sterling Shepard back from uh, from a concussion last week in Chicago. Tate goes out with one on that touchdown grab in, in Chicago. Then you got Ingram and Ellison both out. But Daniel Jones seems to be sort of kind of settling into what's, into his role here because nine different guys have caught 17 touchdown passes. In the last four games, he's had 11 touchdown passes and one interception. I mentioned it before. He's thrown not one interception in his past 100 passes. But the fumbles, oh, the fumbles. Daniel Jones still leads the league in fumbles, 14, and in fumbles lost, 10. And at least three of those 10 were scooping scores. And he's still the, the fourth most aggressive quarterback in the league. And he throws into windows. That means he throws into windows of one yard or less 22% of the time. Why? Because his wide receivers can't generate much space. They're the worst in the league. Only one receiver on that roster creates more than one yard of separation, and that's Sterling Shepard. And when you look at Daniel Jones's quarterback rating, it's just wildly inconsistent. If, you, if you're making a line graph, it's literally all the way up and then literally all the way down. 124 to 72, 121 to 86 in a row. But guess what? That's what you sign up for when you have a rookie quarterback. And let's parlay this into Pat Shermer and his job security. Well, what was interesting to me was, uh, you know, his number two on that list in 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 fumbles, in NFL leading fumbles, Daniel Jones was one. You know who was number two? Josh Allen, 12, the quarterback of the Bills. You don't hear much about that. Why? Because the Bills are winning. And the Giants would be doing a little more winning if, in fact, their kicker, Aldrick Roses, could make his field goals. If their defense didn't give up 28 points per game, fourth worst in the NFL. It's just a very simple formula. Can you imagine if the defense didn't crumble to dust in the second half versus the Cardinals? Giants lost that game by six. Can you imagine if Devon Kennard didn't have that strip sack scoop and score in quarter one of the Lions game? Because the Giants lost by five that game. Can you imagine if the Giants were able to successfully make those two field goals in Chicago? They lost by five. We wouldn't be having this conversation, my point is. We would not be having this conversation because the New York Giants, would, at that point, if they won those one, two, three games based on those three mistakes, Giants would be five and six. They'd be tied with the Eagles for second place in the NFC East, one game behind the Cowboys. Pat Shermer can't snap the ball in the air on that field goal try that Zach Diossi couldn't couldn't do either. Pat Shermer can't kick the field goal. Pat Shermer wasn't the one with one hand on the ball in Detroit. Pat Shermer can't run the routes for the wide receivers who struggled to create more than one yard of separation. And Pat Shermer isn't calling the defensive plays that have his team giving up the fourth most points in the NFL on a weekly basis. And guess what? If his players executed, we wouldn't be talking about this because, again, the Giants, therefore, would be playing meaningful football this weekend. Now, this year, the owners have said nothing about the fate of Pat Shermer. But I want you to think back two short years ago. Here's what John Mara said about Ben McAdoo. We're 2-9. and nine. We're 2-9, and nine, okay? I'm embarrassed about that. Nobody's doing a good job. 
The next week, after another loss, sitting at 2-10, and 10, McAdoo and Reese were fired. But the Giants have a young team. Will Hernandez, second-year player. Saquon Barkley, second-year player. We've got a great deal of, of first-year and second-year players, Pat Shermer said. I think we're well into the 20s now of rookies and second-year players that have started. Giants' average age is, is 26. They're in the middle of the pack in average age. But think about the main positions. Quarterback, running back, cornerback. All premier positions with young guys. Josh in Ozone Park, you're on the fan. Hi, um, I have a question about, I guess to you and everybody else listening, why is this not a trend for New York teams to not hire big-name coaches? And why, why wouldn't they do that? When, especially when they have the situations that they have with Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley with the Giants, with the Mets trending to, you know, towards winning this year, you would think they would hire somebody like a Girardi. Like Girardi, yeah. And it's like it's like almost all the New York teams do it. Well, I, I, mean, I, I, I had a problem when the Jets picked Gase over McCarthy, so I see what you're saying. Exactly, exactly. And that's I just don't get it. I don't get it. Like you would think, especially the New York. Has uh, are, are big name teams. Uh, almost every team in New York, I would say every team in New York, are big name teams. You know, big market teams. Yeah. And why would they? Why would they go for coaches, managers like that? Uh, Josh, that that is the million dollar question. That that's a that's a great question. I, I don't know, <laughs> and it's not like they don't want it. Girardi came in for three interviews with the Mets. McCarthy wanted the wanted the Jets job. Do you believe that he wanted the Jets job? I don't know. I think that's a great question, and, and I, I don't have the answer to it. Tim, in East Haven, Connecticut, you're on the fan. Hi, Danielle. How are you? Good, good. Hey, I was just calling. You just changed my total oh, no. way of thinking. I was going to ask about the scheduling, and, uh, you know, we lose to the, uh, we lose to the Dolphins, and we, and we lose to the Redskins. We're sitting at number two probably for an overall pick. I'm talking the Giants As now, right? Giants, man, yeah. I hate losing. I'm sick of losing. But, I mean, that would be a nice situation. Gettleman has proved he could draft. Yep. And Shermer, I am not a fan of. I mean, if you look at Gettleman's draft, with Slayton and Conley in the fifth round, those yep. are productive NFL players. Yes, they're they are. good. They're young. Mm-hmm. Conley looked like he was all over the field before he got hurt. Yep. Slayton looks like he's our best wide receiver. I give him a pass. Shermer can go because, like you just said, all the errors, whether it's a field goal kicker, or special teams or something. That's a sign of a bad coach team when it's if it comes down to a snap or a hold or it, it's crazy. See, they I don't know about that. Th- those are, see, those are, those are physical errors, though. I always preach that to my team. Physical errors are, are okay. The mental errors are what you need to avoid, and that that's I feel that is more of a reflection at that level anyway on a coach. The mental, not the physical. And they have those. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm not saying that they don't, but they I'm just saying. <laughs> But those those were physical things that 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 you know contributed to those three losses right there. I mean, I mean, I guess field goal kicking across the board in the NFL has been awful. Yeah. But I'm not giving Rosas a pass. He looks lost. He looks terrible. You know. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, getting back to the whole thing, Gettleman should get a pass. Mm-hmm. Daniel Jones is a good foundation. He did draft him. Everyone's yelling. I, I, I wanted Josh Allen because so the defense I. couldn't sack the quarterback the year before. So, mm-hmm. I mean, what makes him think they could sack 
the quarterback. He brought in Golden. Golden's probably their best pass rusher. He is. You got to give Gettleman a chance. He's only on year what two. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yep. I, I, you know, Shermer can go. I mean, look at his overall body of work. Yeah. You know, I mean, we're winning we percentage. Yeah, as a head coach, yeah, I see overall like ten wins total. Yeah. Yeah. But Tim, thanks for the call. I appreciate that. Um, yeah, I mean, but like I, like I was just saying that to Tim, mental mistakes are, are not allowed. Physical mistakes, they, they do happen. And I, and I posed this question. I want to hit this right, right before the break here. I posed this question to my Twitter followers, at Coach M-C-C-A-R-T-A-N. I asked, silly question, but... With both teams not yet mathematically eliminated from playoff contention, which team has a better chance to see playoff action? Jets or Giants? 84% of you guys said the Jets. Well, I'm going to disagree. I'm with the 16 because 16 remaining percent say the Giants because the Giants, in my opinion, have a better chance, and I know this is crazy, but the Giants do have a better chance of making the playoffs than the Jets because the wild card, uh, they're out of. But when you look at the NFC East, the division is a big fat maybe because you look at the Cowboys, they're 6-6. Six and six. They are, The Giants are sitting in the worst division in the NFL. The only way the Jets can make to the playoffs is through the second wild card spot because there's that, you know, that guy named Tom Brady atop the AFC East and the surging Buffalo Bills in second place. The Giants actually have a clearer path to the playoffs since their division for the second year in a row is totally wide open. And this is how the Giants could do it. First, (laughs) they've only won two games this season. Okay, I know that. If they win out the last five games, hear me out. If the Giants win the last five games, two versus Philadelphia, starting Sunday versus Green Bay. Because then they have Miami and Washington. If the Giants win the last five and the Cowboys lose the last four games with that lame duck coach named Jason Garrett and a Thanksgiving Day spanking to the Buffalo Bills that left Jerry Jones with tears in his eyes. Did you hear that report? Okay. Then the Eagles need to lose to the Dolphins or the Redskins. Take your pick. If those three things happen, the Giants make the playoffs. I know that's a lot to ask, but the question I asked was, which team has a better chance to see playoff action? Based on that, you got to go New York Giants. They have the clearer path. As far as the kicking situation, well, Giants worked out some kickers because Aldrich Rose says, what's up with him? He was the best kicker in the league last season. And this season, he's setting a new type of record. Versus Chicago, that was the fifth game in a row where the Giants missed a kick. And that was the third game in a row where they missed an extra point. Combine that, that's something the Giants hadn't done since 1932. <laughs> and remember Jay Feely? He missed three kicks in a row in Seattle in 2005. That was the last time a Giants kicker missed consecutive field goals in a game. That is, until Roses and Chicago. Tuesdays, the Giants worked out Giorgio Tavecchio, Blair Walsh, Austin McGinnis, and Cole Hedlund. And... I, my confidence would be rattled if they brought five guys in to take my job. Rose has said he's not. More Giants and Jets after the break. I'm Daniel McCartan after midnight or McCartan in the morning at this point on WFN Radio in New York City. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and 
And good morning, everybody. Back. It's 5.05 a.m. here in New York City to to Lower Manhattan. I'm Danielle McCartan on WFAN Radio. Obviously, New York, New York. Um, Coming to you from this uh, Thanksgiving weekend here in New York. And, you know, I started the show, first of all, by saying that I am wearing my stretchy pants here here tonight. Had a nice Thanksgiving feast. And punctuated by mom's lasagna. That's obviously the best part about Thanksgiving, obviously. Um, and here we are. We've got a slate of Giants and Jets football games this weekend. We got Devils Rangers. I love when New York teams play each other, but I don't like when they both football teams play at one o'clock. I can't stand that. And here we go. So I opened the show and I and I started with and you guys know me by now, I have all the songs. So I started with um the Giants and and I went around each team pretty much in New York, as, as many as I can get to. And I, I said, I was really sitting there yesterday thinking, like, what is each New York team thankful for? Well, for the Giants, I came out with the Bon Jovi song, Thank You for Loving Me, and that was for Eli Manning. Because let me tell you something. Eli Manning could have made, I mean, the Giants are 2-7, and seven. It's, it's or 2-9 and whatever, nine now. It's, it's, it's messy. Eli could have made this giant season an absolute mess, a catastrophe, a disaster, because the Giants, as you know, are on a seven-game losing streak. And then they're welcoming the top seeded in the NFC if the season ended today, Green Bay Packers and Aaron Rodgers to MetLife Stadium. And Eli, he could have stamped his feet and demanded a trade. He could still resist, and he could still demand to start to play, to show the NFL that he still got what it takes to be a quarterback in this league. And he could still demand to have that 22-year-old Daniel Jones sit and take some notes on how to keep two hands on the football, which Manning would know <clears throat> since he's, uh, he's a Giants leader in fumbles all time. Instead, the cameras captured the heartwarming embrace between Eli and Daniel after Jones's first touchdown pass. Instead, Easy e has put the development of Daniel Jones above any ego that you even thought Eli might have even had. Instead, Eli's put Daniel Jones in position to succeed on the field and in the meeting rooms, which is even more important, I'd say. That's just who he is. Eli Manning has been giving advice to him, serious and lighthearted advice. Jones said he's grateful for him. And, and, and that's all you can ask. And a caller said, oh, well, he's getting $25 million to do that. Yeah, he is, but he could probably get that much money somewhere else on a really quarterback-desperate team, too. Or maybe close to it. A little less, but close to it. So, Giants fans, in a league of these me-first players, Manning should be absolutely revered. And, by the way, Daniel Jones is making his 10th start. And and look back to to Manning's first, you know, because... Daniel Jones has made nine starts, and this week will be 10th. So the first nine starts for Manning and for Jones, I looked at, you know, how do they compare? Well, Daniel Jones has almost double the amount of touchdown passes that Eli Manning had as a rookie. He's got less interceptions than Eli Manning has as a rookie. He's got, well, Eli's got, let's see, 35 rushing yards in his rookie season. Daniel Jones has 235. And two rushing touchdowns. And Eli had a better record. Eli had less fumbles. 
Eli was sacked about half the time. But again, Eli was playing with Snee, Deal, and O'Hara in front of him. Okay, and, and Michael Strahan, who's now wearing a gold jacket on defense. Manning had the better team. Okay? But he quarterbacked him to three and six. Jones has the worst worst of the two of them. And he's he's got his team at, at two and two and seven as a starter. Okay. Um so I think Giants fans have a lot to be thankful for in Eli and how he's handling the entire situation. Giants players seem to be thankful for for um for Daniel Jones. And Saquon Barkley, he seems like he gets it. Barkley said, Jones gets booed when he gets drafted here, knowing all you guys, the reporters, said we shouldn't have drafted him. He puts that all aside, and the only thing he cares about, he's passionate about his sport and this team and those guys in the locker room. And if he continues to have that, I think he's going to be one of the best quarterbacks, if not the best quarterback in the league someday. I truly believe that. Antoine Bethea, he's, he's also saying the same thing. He's telling Giants fans that they have a bright future. Bright future, man. Giants fans should be excited about Daniel Jones and the New York Giant. So there's that. Then we talked about the Jets, and I had the Old Dominion Smooth Sailing song introduce that little topic. Because the Jets, yes, are riding a three-game win streak into the winless Cincinnati Bengals today. Or Sunday, I should say. I keep getting my days mixed up. I'm usually on, on Saturday nights into Sunday. But I can't believe people are even considering the Jets to be a, a playoff team. At all, because somehow they beat the Raiders. And last week we talked to Adam Hill of the Las Vegas Review-Journal, and he said the Raiders aren't a very good football team. That's what he said. That's a quote. And this win streak, sure, the first game came against, you know, the Giants. Second one came against, you know, the Redskins. And then there was the Raiders. So, Jets fans, you could celebrate all you want. I warned you about this on this program months ago. I said... You're going to say, well, they started off at 1-7, and seven, but they finished out, I say, 6-10. and 10. But they've lost to teams, these Jets. I don't know, the tanking Miami Dolphins. I don't know. And I picked this song because, yes, the final five games for the Jets are like smooth sailing. Because their final record is going to be a false narrative for this team. Because, guys, the rest of the way, the combined winning percentage of the Jets' final opponents, including... The beginning of their winning streak, Giants and, and Redskins, is a whopping 400. That includes the Baltimore Ravens. And when you take the Ravens out of the equation, from week 10 on, the Jets are going to have faced opponents with a winning percentage of 341. They should be winning those games. So yes, the, the Jets, besides that Ravens game and primetime Thursday night football, have smooth sailing the rest of the way. That's unfortunate for them and for their long-term future. And three weeks ago, the Jets were 1-7. and seven. Their players were airing differences on social media. Adam Gase's seat was hotter than ever. And any listener to this show will tell you that I told you that the Jets were going to end with a mediocre record. Go back on the tape. I think I said five or six. That's a false positive for this team and this head coach, and it's a shame. Real accomplishment they got on this this three-game winning streak. And if they find a way to beat the Bengals, their win streak will be four games. Four teams that have a winning percentage of what? 277. Sounds like a real accomplishment. And the Bengals are going to start Andy Dalton on Friday, I mean, on, uh, on Sunday, in place of rookie Ryan Finley. 
They tried Finley out. He was not the answer. In three games, he had a 47% completion percentage. Two touchdowns and five turnovers. So then they're going back to Andy Dalton. Drafted in the second round of the 2011 draft. He started every game for them since then, until until this point. So doesn't that remind you of the Eli Manning, Geno Smith, Ben McAdoo debacle in, in a tiny way? Cincinnati's going to be in the market for a quarterback in the draft this year. And some Jets fans are even mentioning the P word, like Sam Darnold after beating the Giants. Come on, bro. Playoffs? So the Jets beat the Raiders. They had a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs then, and they have a less than 1% chance to make the playoffs now. So tell me, what changed other than securing a worse draft pick? You should see these cockamamie articles describing the Jets' path to the playoffs. Come on! Each win just delays the inevitable. The first loss they have, they're mathematically eliminated. Done! Until then, until the Jets get pounded by the Ravens on national TV and eliminated from playoff condition, contention, this false positive narrative on Adam Gase is just laughable. The 4-7 and seven Jets are traveling to Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati, Ohio, Take on the 0-11 Bills, uh, Bengals. Come on. What the Mets should be thankful for, I did uh, Chris Jansen's good vibes. Well, a locker room full of mostly team first players. I pointed out Peter Alonso and the, the whole 9-11 cleats thing, which you know about, I'm sure. I pointed to Jeff McNeil, who's played at the MLB level in four Different positions, left field, right field, second base, third base. That's pretty special, and the guy will play anywhere happily. Then he got, I pointed to Wilson Ramos, who basically said, like, nothing about being called out by Noah Syndergaard by that leaked conversation. He said he's not mad at his teammate. It's happened before. That sort of a stable clubhouse, positive clubhouse, bodes well for any free agent attraction that the Mets are going to have. But they better start moving because they missed out on on the best reliever in the market, Will Smith. We then talked about uh, some Black uh, Black Friday deals. I think we'll open uh, the next break with that. Black Friday deals for the Yankees and for the Mets. You know, if, if not the top dude, who else could they get on a good price? We'll talk about that. Yankees, I had Justin Timberlake, what goes around comes around. Specifically about the fact that the Astros cheating scandal that the Yankees first brought up in 2017 is finally getting the attention it deserves. And if you haven't heard the latest from Andy Martino of SNY, reported that the Yankees have complained in-game to the league about blinking lights in center field in the 2019 Game 6 ALCS at, at Minute Maid. And it kind of fits the narrative because the Astros had a three-run first inning. And after that, we're basically silent. Until, of course, Altuve's loud walk-off in the ninth. And he said that the Yankees suspected that Houston was alternating whistling and hand signs, depending on the inning, and that the type of whistling varied depending on the pitch. We've talked about all the ways they cheated here, so it's finally, hopefully, going to get the attention it deserves. And that's it for the the football and the baseball, what they should be thankful for. We'll talk more after the break. I really want to talk about Black Friday deals for the Yankees and Mets. Let's load up the calls, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on a fan.
It's a holiday weekend hockey special. Be listening today at 1 p.m. as the New Jersey Devils host the New York Rangers at the Prudential Center, exclusively on your flagship station for Devils Hockey. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. I like this one. DJ Pat, this is a good one. What is this? That's Wale. I like that. Pretty good. All right, so you guys are tuning in to McCartan in the Morning here on WFAN. Follow me at CoachMCCARTAN on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Same thing. Um, you might you're, you might be up listening now because you might be thrown off your, your whole circadian rhythm because you went Black Friday shopping. Maybe you got that big TV. On the net game today, they were showing um, people that were trying to put this huge TV into the backseat of just the regular car. <laughs> they, they were having a hard time. It, like, it didn't fit. So I hope that you guys are maybe listening on a brand-new smart speaker. huh? How's that? On the radio.com app. Um, so Black Friday deals for the Yankees and for the Mets. Well, um, I think both might be in the market for a backup catcher, more defensive-minded, because um, Gary Sanchez, you know, isn't that, although he's working at it. Wilson Ramos isn't that, although he's working at it. Um, but especially for Ramos, you can't take away uh, his offensive production. I mean, he, Wilson Ramos, is the most productive offensive catcher in the league. So they're not getting rid of him, in other words. So they might be looking for a backup catcher, both teams. So some depth behind the plate. Here are some options. I have my first option. This is a Black Friday bargain deal. Drew Butera. His last contract was for $555,000. A little bit about Butera. He's a career 200 hitter, which is not that good. Um, But he does have postseason experience. He did catch the final ball in the World Series victory of the Royals, clinching game. Um, And I I said before, it, it is enshrined with a picture of him in their museum within Kauffman Stadium. I've seen it. I've been there. Um, but he brings a little versatility, and they both do. These both candidates. Um, first, Butera has played 26 games at first base, so that could be an option for the Yankees for a Voight on a uh, on an off day. 26 games sounds pretty good. Um, even for Alonso to take a break off day, you know, it's a long 162 game season. Um, and it almost this is this is probably the best part about him, uh, Drew Butera, is that. In almost 500 games behind the plate, he owns a almost perfect fielding percentage, 992. And then the other option was Jonathan Lucroy, I had, and his last contract was for the same dollar amount, 555,000. And I, I told you guys here, I, I wish the Mets got him the first time around. You heard me say it. Um, he is coming back from an extended injury last season. He got mauled at the plate. Um, but He's a, a much better career hitter, 274. He also has postseason experience. He has played more games at first base than Butera, so he has experience there too. And in almost 1,100 games behind the plate, which is th- basically two and a half times what Butera has had experience-wise, he owns an almost perfect, perfect fielding percentage too, 993. So if you're in the market for a good backup defensive catcher that you can afford, that can afford you some uh, versatility at first base, which I think both teams are looking for. 
Both of these guys are great Black Friday steals. Drew Butera, Jonathan Lucroy. And for the Mets. See, the thing is, the Mets always uh, always seem to be Black Friday shopping. Um, so they missed out on Will Smith because he just signed a huge deal with, with the Braves. But the next best option, the most best option would be Dylan Batanzas is, is still available. Probably the best reliever on the market right now. But if the Mets aren't going to go that route, then their Black Friday bullpen help is Sergio Romo. He had 20 saves last season. He most recently played for the Twins. And he came there, or he got there at the trade deadline. And after that, he had a 27-4 to strike-to-walk ratio. 3.18 ERA. And the best part about him is that Rocco Baldelli, the manager, utilized him in high-leverage situations. And he was a high-leverage option. And with Edwin Diaz and Familia not coming through in the clutch, sounds exactly like what the Mets would need. And I think he'll go for like $2.5, million a year on a two-year deal. Um, seems to be that he wants to go back to Minnesota, though. Maybe the Mets can lure him with that good young clubhouse and the promise to win a World Series, I think, soon. In the next, I don't know, I would say, I would say the next two to three years. So if the Mets are looking for, you know, just an everyday player, it's not going to be like a guy like Rendon, I'll tell you that much, Mets fans, sorry. But I said this on here, I suggested this guy like a month ago. He's still out there. And every I see, I'm seeing it everywhere then. I'm seeing it on SNY. I'm seeing it in all these places. I said it here. Listen carefully. This is picking up some steam. Marte from the Pirates. He is a player that the Mets could actually pencil into the lineup today. Starling Marte. Thursday. 5.18 p.m. You're eating your dinner. You're, you're turkey, right? He's he's saying at that time, there's a quote, the Mets have it all. It would be a great opportunity to play with them. The Mets are in a position to do that, which is compete right now in a World Series. And it would be an honor to play with them. If it doesn't happen, I will keep working hard and be giving my team all I have. I described him as a poor man center fielder. But, I mean, he just picked up his $11.5 million option with the Pirates, so... It looks like it's going to be by trade, which might work for the Mets. And I mentioned before, here's my trade. Straight up, I'd do. Because Pittsburgh needs a starting pitcher. How about a Mats deal? Mats Marte. Someone on Twitter this morning told me that they would happily even just drive Mats to the airport <laughs> for free. I want you to take a long, hard look at Starling Marte. He's got value. He's the odd man out in Pittsburgh because Polanco's coming back after a 60-day IL stint. Brian Reynolds, rookie, hit better than he did last year. Rookie hit 314 last year. Marte hit 295. So he's kind of like the odd man out. They really don't need him. So it's a win for them if they're getting a, a starting pitcher in return for him. Marte's a plus defender. He steals bases. And he's that true center fielder that everybody seems to think the Mets need. 
me, I'm in the build the bullpen first and then worry about a center fielder camp. But the guy's won two gold gloves. He's an all-star. And he gets on base. Next year, he's projected to hit 20 home runs, steal 23 bases, and hit 277. That's a nice leadoff hit, hitter for the New York Metropolitans. Follow that up with a, a Brendan Nimmo. Imagine that. Marte, Nimmo, McNeil, Alonso. Sounds like a lot of runs to me. Let's head out to Bay Ridge. Ali, you're on the fan. Hey, Ben, how you doing? Good, how are you? I'm doing well. Uh, two things I want to bring up. I originally was going to talk about the Mets. Yeah. But uh, the, the, the Houston scandal came to my mind. And I want to ask you, how does this compare to how you look at, like, the steroid era as opposed to this, like, cheating with technology? And, you know, obviously benefiting from it by winning a World Series, yeah. making another World Series. I mean, you know, how long has this been going on during the season as well? So how does this impact Houston, the players, the managers going forward as far as looking at their, their career-wise, you know, when facing at the Hall of Fame in that matter? Yeah, um, that's I mean, a great look, question, look, yeah. You know, steroids is an individual thing. So, And obviously what what was what made the writers and, 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 the, and the public, people are angry in baseball, was that the records, you know, were getting shattered. But this, to me, you know, goes beyond the records. I mean, you win a World Series. That's the ultimate goal. You ask a player, you know, of that's in the Hall of Fame that never won a World Series, you know, take Tony Gwynn, you know, may he rest in peace. Hey, Tony, would you give up a 1,000 hits to win a World Series? He'd probably say, yeah, 100% say yes. So, and uh, the other thing was just the Mets. I think the Mets are in a good position next year. Uh, you know, look at the Nationals, the way they played all season and, and making the postseason. The Mets are built for the postseason. They just need to figure out a way to make the postseason. And, um, you know, obviously that, that's not easy to do. But, uh, look, I, I like to believe the guys, Diaz, will have a better year. Access to this gets back, you know, uh, that will help the lineup. And, and, you know, again, you just got to sneak in to win the World Series. Danielle, thanks for the call. Have a good day. Yeah, Ali, thanks. And he brought up two really good points. And I just think that the Mets' way to the postseason – is through the bullpen, through the bullpen, because if the Mets relievers saved seventy percent of the saves that they were supposed to have saved, that would have resulted in, based on my math, in eight more wins. Eight more wins would have probably got the Mets to the playoffs. Let's be honest. Last year, so that's that's exactly where the the Mets need to to fortify first, first and foremost, before they go out and. Try and get a center fielder, unless Marte falls onto their lap. The other question he brought up was was the effect of the cheating scandal, you know, versus the steroids. And I think that's a great point. That's a great question because we've talked about it on here. That, in my opinion, I think this this scandal is worse. And I talked about it in the context, the New York lens of, well, then maybe Carlos Beltran doesn't actually get into the Hall of Fame. He seems to be a major player in this whole cheating scandal. Major. I mean, he is directly benefited by it. We've seen the videos. So what I'm saying is, as a player, if you're taking steroids as an individual player, that only helps you so much. It doesn't help you make contact with the ball. It just helps you hit it 
It helps you, it makes it go farther when you do get a piece of it, which is one thing. But if you know, which we've seen that we've, we've played the videos here, you know, if you know which pitch is coming, when it's coming, that's a distinct advantage. A bigger advantage than any steroid can give you. Think about it. As a player, you're standing in the batter's box. You have to first determine the location of the pitch. And second, or even vice versa, the speed of the pitch. So by if you hear two bangs on a garbage can, you know that it's an off-speed pitch. Well, that's that you're eliminating half of the, the split-second thought process needed in order to hit a baseball, which, by the way, is the hardest, the most difficult thing to do in sports. Second, shoot a basketball. Let me get back to it, though. So if you know not only the, t- the speed, so what they're doing is they're three times is signifying a slider. You know that a slider's coming, you have an infinite better chance to hit that ball. Infinite. So, of course, that's a huge impact on, on baseball, and we could talk more about that after the break. Um, more of your calls, 877-337-6666. I'm Danielle McCartan on The Fan. It's a holiday weekend hockey special. Be listening today at 1 p.m. as the New Jersey Devils host the New York Rangers at the Prudential Center, exclusively on your flagship station for Devils Hockey. The Fan, Sports Radio 1019 FM and Sports Radio 66, WFAN and WFAN FM, New York. Here we are. The final segment here, McCartan After Midnight here on WFAN Radio in New York City. We haven't given the Jets enough love tonight. Well, enough English tonight, I guess. Um, you know, I just, there, there's something that, that really resonated with me um, that Jamal Adams had said. And don't get me wrong. Maybe I should start with the fact that Jamal Adams is playing at an all-pro level. I mean, the guy is all over the field as a player. He's amazing. He's versatile. And he makes everyone else's jobs, including the defensive coordinators, easier. The only real problem as a player that I have with him is that he should be a Jet for a long time. It's not even his problem because his contract is up at the end of next season. And will the Jets invest huge money into his safety? He clearly deserves it. But I don't think they're going to do it. So when I see... And and I have a Jamal Adams t-shirt, okay? So when I see him in this Twitter war earlier in the week, I have a problem with it because he got into a Twitter war and he he used a a diminutive term of degrading term of, not degrading, but diminutive uh, to somebody who was a teacher and a coach and he called him, he has a little L-I-L, little job to do. Don't you have class in the morning? Okay, so my problem is that Jamal Adams is picking on a vastly underpaid, vastly underappreciated group of people, teachers, and more more specifically, teachers that are coaches. And the last I checked, Jamal Adams, I'm going to check you right here because you are a product of your teachers and you are a product of your coaches. And there is no way you make it to the NFL without either of the two of them. And for those that know, no. And for those that don't, let me tell you something. High school coaches are paid one flat stipend. 
whether they put in six hours a week or 600 hours a week. And I don't know one single high school coach that puts in less than six hours a week. I would say even two hours a day, I would say six times, six days a week, two hours a day, 12 hours, I would say. At least 12 hours a week. And for me, my free summer ends on the second Monday of the month in August. I give up my summer. And my bonus for making the postseason, which we make every single year, $100. That barely covers the gas and the mileage on my car when I have to go scout the opponents. And when you divide the number of hours to the pay, which I've done one time, you'll find that you work for less than a dollar an hour. And then they take the taxes out. ton of them. Oh, what about when the parents can't pick their kids up on time? You're stuck waiting there until they do for free. You do it, though, for love of the game. And sometimes that gets lost, Jamal Adams, when you start making millions of dollars at the professional level. You coach for the love of the game. And when I use the pronoun I, I mean all coaches. If you're nodding your head right now, if you're with me, if you get it and you've been there, Jamal Adams, enough of the demoralization of the teachers and of the coaches. To me, I take those comments personally, especially after Jamal Adams just hosted a bunch of Harlem High School football players and their coaches at MetLife Stadium last week. And then he says this, come on, show a little more class and a little more humility, please, Jamal Adams. The kids are watching you. East Rockaway, Mike, you're on the fan. Hey, Danielle. Uh, good morning. I just tuned you in. I mean, uh, South Kakalaki, Myrtle Beach. <laughs> okay. How are you? <laughs> good. You know, excellent point. Uh, my son is 24 now, played three sports in high school, mm-hmm. and a wide receiver in college, yep. at a good college. Okay? My daughter is 29. She's a teacher at a good school in Suffolk County. Middle, uh, 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 middle grade, you know, um, and I'll tell you what, that's a tough uh, group. How dare any athlete say that? I said it when the kids were younger. The second most important job after mom and dad is a good teacher in school. Yep. That's it in a nutshell, yep. you know? And I played some college baseball years ago, Danielle. You, an athlete, played. Coach, I should write a book. I told friends for uh, years, the parents at the ball fields, that's another story. Mm. <laughs> All right, Danielle. <laughs> Great, great point, and uh, and good tuning in, Mike. Thanks, I appreciate it. Yeah, I, it's it's just got to stop. The kids are watching Jamal. You know, I like you as a player. You're a great player, but you also are a product of your high school teachers, your middle school teachers, your elementary school teachers, and every single coach that you had all along the way. And let's shift our focus right now to Sam Darnold. Let's just talk again about how a 22 year old has to seek out his quarterback whispering coach to tell him what he likes and doesn't like. I have even more respect for Darnold than ever. Clearly, his offensive guru coach lacks the social skills needed to be a head coach in the league. Nevertheless, since that young man's move, he's got seven touchdowns, one interception. That's not on Gase. That's on Darnold. He's impressive in more ways than one. And for further evidence that Gase can't communicate, here's another little quote. From Gase himself. The fact that he handled it as well as he did, I'm sure it wasn't easy. He never said anything to me. What? He never said anything to you? Your quarterback never said anything to you? His quarterback whisper after he was seeing those ghosts? My God. He said, I think those guys, meaning Peyton, Manning, Cutler, and and Tannehill, they've been through 
a lot of different scars from the past, and they know how to get through a lot of the stuff, Gase said. Well, they already knew how to do it. Gase didn't teach it to them. Nevertheless, over the Jets' winning stretch, Darnold has thrown more touchdown passes, seven, than every quarterback in the league not named Lamar Jackson, 12. Talk about this Bengals game. This is a trap game, man. Be aware of the winless teams because this season already, the Jets have dropped one to the tanking Miami Dolphins. Remember when I made it here? Made that bet with JJ and made it here wearing my Dan Marino jersey that week? Jets got walloped by the Dolphins in Miami. 26-18. And can I bring you back to Thursday, September 20th, 2018? The day Baker Mayfield made his NFL debut and absolutely torched the New York Jets. And before then, coming into that game, the Browns were 4-47-1. And, and if you, like I do, have flashbacks of the Browns and, the, and Mayfield beating the Jets, unlocking every single free beer fridge all over Cleveland, I shudder at the thought that this could be another one of those games. Forget the records. The Bengals have had five games this season where they lost by seven-plus points. Those games were to San Francisco, Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, the Rams, and Baltimore. That's a 636 winning percentage. That's a tough schedule. They lost to Seattle by one. They lost to Arizona by three. And Baltimore the first time by six. But then again, Flacco was the quarterback and the second time they got crushed by Jackson. The Jets have had six games out of the seven losses this season where they lost by seven-plus points. So the Bengals have five, the Jets have six. And one can make the argument that the Jets, I'll show you the numbers in a second, the Jets lost by seven, more than seven points to the Browns, twice to the Patriots, England, uh, uh, Eagles, Jacksonville, and Miami. So when you look at the games that the Bengals lost by more than seven points, that winning percentage is 636 on those opponents. When you look at the opponents that the Jets lost to by more than seven points, they only have a 546 winning percentage. They're barely 500. So this is a little bit deceiving, I would say, based on the strength of schedule. I mean, I still think the Jets are going to win. Don't get me wrong. I don't think they're going to. But I don't know. You don't know with this team. Because, I mean, you think about how the Jets' defense absolutely shut down the Raiders' passing attack. I mean, you think about Greg Williams and what he's done this season. Excellent. Outstanding. There are other, there, What are other adjectives to describe him? There's so many. He doesn't have any excuses like Adam Gase used with his offense. Oh, Darnold, Mono, Anunua, out for the season. Offensive line, blah, blah. How many excuses have you seen Williams make? I'll spare you the time. Zero. The Jets traded a veteran starting defensive lineman in Williams. He hasn't had either of his starting linebackers for all but one game this season, including marquee linebacker C.J. Mosley. He's down to practice squad players at cornerback. He doesn't have an edge rusher with more than five sacks this year. But the Jets are still giving up 23.5 points per game. Why? Well, because Adam Gase's offense has been giving the worst average field starting position in the NFL, the opposing teams. So teams don't need to move the ball all that well to score any points. 
The Jets' offense has been so bad that it puts their defense in a position to fail. And guess what? Jets fans should be a little bit worried because Greg Williams is in a great position to win NFL's Coordinator of the Year, right? Well, the award has only existed since 2014. Let me tell you something, Jets fans. Four out of the five winners of that award went on to get head coaches' jobs the very next season. <laughs> so if Greg Williams leaves, that would be the real test of Adam Gase. You'll see. You got He's also got undrafted free agent Arthur Mollette from the Saints. Made his third consecutive start versus the Raiders. Career-high seven tackles. One game. I mean, come on. I, I what I said about what and then what he said about his defensive coordinator, I really like. And if lines up totally with my coaching philosophy, and I always preach to my kids, practice how you play. This is what Mullot said about him. Greg does a good job at practice at practice putting pressure on us to be great. So when I get into the game, I feel like it's easy. I already know my job and I already know what I need to do. So all I have to do is execute. There is no pressure. I just do my job and have fun with the guys on the field. Well, my God, doesn't Greg Williams just, you know, get it? <laughs> and the, the, the cockamamie way the Jets can get to the playoff, I summarize that with three letters, L-O-L. They got to win out for that second wild card spot. They need a combination of losses for the seven teams in front of them. And even if they do win out, they aren't a lock for the playoffs at 9-7. and seven. That's where we're going to stop entertaining this crazy idea. The Jets aren't making the playoffs. But my score prediction is that they are going to beat the Bengals today. I have the Jets winning 28-3. And that game is at, or, sorry, not today, Sunday. That game is Sunday, 1 p.m. from Paul Brown Stadium. That's on CBS. And again, I have the Jets winning that game 28-3. And I had the Giants losing to the Packers. Packers 34, Giants 10. It's going to be a very sloppy game here on Sunday in East Rutherford, New Jersey with that snow prediction. I haven't checked it since I last checked it, but it's a 100% chance of snow, sleet, and whatever else coming down. It's going to be a game focused on on the run game. Aaron Jones versus Saquon Barkley. Thanks to all the callers. Could not have done it without you. It's been a fun four hours. Love coming here. Great job to Pat Boyle behind DJ Pat, I should call him, behind the glass tonight. Marco on the updates. You got Rangers Devils today, NFL Network, uh, NFL Week 13 action on Sunday. Jets are three point favorites at the, to the home Bengals. Giants are six and a half point underdogs to Aaron Rodgers in the pack at MetLife. Write it down. I'll see you guys on my regular night next week, Sunday night, Saturday night into Sunday, two to six. In the meantime, hit my socials, Coach McCartan, Facebook.com slash Coach McCartan. Let's keep the conversation going. You guys got Richard Near up next. See you guys. Same bat time. Same different date next week. I'm Daniel McCartan on The Fan. Sports Radio 101.9 FM and Sports Radio 66. The Fan. W-A.